Hi, this is Mark Stamper. We realise that this show should have been released on the Sunday the 23rd of December, but due to commitments over the uh, festive period, we weren't able to bring it to you until today. So apologies for missing a week, and uh, we hope you enjoy this week's show. We've got some uh, a nice little spoiler coming up, so if you don't want to hear about the new uh, movie about the first nine minutes of the new movie, then watch out for the spoiler alert and skip forward about 15 or 20 minutes. And we also have a great interview with Paul Olsen. So enjoy the show, and we'll see you very soon. We are Trekmates. Lower your iPod and surrender your time. Your enthusiasm and passion on Star Trek will be added to our own. Resistance is futile. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Trapmate Podcast. Its continuing mission to entertain, enlighten, educate, and talk all things Trek. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Make it so. Prepare to attack all hands battle stations. Don't worry, we will get to the bottom of this. I don't want excuses, I want answers. Am I authorized to enter the neutral zone? How do you think that tells me about your character? Captain's log, stardate 3541.9. Program complete. Enter when ready. Welcome to Trek, mate. My name's Wayne Emery. My name's Mark Stamper. Oh, we're nearly there, Mark. We're it's nearly there. We two are. Two days away, and it's two Christmas. Days, two days away from a very merry Trekmas. Oh yes, yes. So it's going to be a festive field show uh, that we've uh, got some goodies lined up for you. We've got a guest on later on. Yes, so how you been, Mark? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Uh, just getting uh, ready for the uh, festive period. What about you? Yeah, same here. But, uh, well, I would say busy with work. I've only had like a few days on this week, so but just really busy gearing up for the festivities. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we record, we're actually recording this on Thursday the twentieth, and tomorrow, so the twenty-first, is my birthday. Happy birthday! Thank you, thank you. So uh, yeah, I'm only in work till 12 o'clock tomorrow and then we go out for our department's Christmas lunch so the whole department closes down we all go out and uh, have lunch together and uh, we get given gifts etc and then uh, that's it, I'm off for the week which is quite nice Nice, are you back in in the new year? Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm actually back in on New Year's Eve but that's fine, it's, it's not too bad, I'll only be working until about 2 o'clock but yeah, I couldn't unfortunately wangle New Year's Eve off. So, uh, but there, there you go. Never mind. It, it's it's near enough a week off. So, only a couple of days uh, holiday taken, and uh, with with all of the uh, holidays built in, it, it isn't too bad. Oh, that's pretty good going. Gives you. That's. Uh, I'm working from this point. I've got the weekend off. Then I'm working Monday, and then I've got four days off. So that's I'll be back nice. next Saturday. So yeah, oh, that's, that's all right. That's pretty good. Uh, considering what I normally end up having to work, I'm happy with that. Because most years, whatever job I'm in, I'd end up only having a couple of days off. 
if yeah, that four, four days is quite nice. Yeah, so I'm quite happy with that. Quite happy. With that. I, I don't think kids realise just how lucky they are huh. <laughs> with how long they get off. No, two weeks my kids have got a Christmas, so yeah. Two weeks off school and they're like, oh, you have to go to work, yeah. Oh, well, I've got two weeks off school. Yeah. <laughs> you so get your work. bedroom. <laughs> yeah. That's not fair. No, it's not, is it? But never mind. Oh, yeah. So are they looking forward to Christmas? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. They're uh, they're all very excited. And, uh, yeah, it's cost me a fortune because uh, my daughter wanted a laptop for Christmas. So she's got a laptop for Christmas. And my son's got this big uh, Wembley Stadium thing, which is made out of sort of like Lego type blocks. It's not Lego, but they look like little Lego blocks. There's 2,000 pieces in this thing. Blimey. 2,000 pieces to make it. It's about two foot across to make this Wembley Stadium and get little football players to put in it. It's what I'm doing on Boxing Day. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. I think that's what dads end up uh, doing for the majority of Christmas Day and Boxing Day is uh, building. Building stuff, yeah. Well, yeah. that's a dad's duty, isn't it? It is. I've, uh, I think I might try and preempt that and build some uh, presents beforehand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just well, I'm cooking on Christmas Day, so Christmas Day is cooking, Boxing Day is building. Yeah, no, uh, Leanne and I are sharing the cooking responsibilities. I'm in charge of the turkey. Okay, I'm in charge of everything because I'm the better cook, to be honest. <laughs> no, it's true. You want it to be edible, so yeah. true story. I'm the better cook. <laughs> Not letting my mother-in-law near near any of the food. I'll do it, thank you. Oh yeah, no, I I can associate. I can associate with that one. <laughs> but still, no, we're um. This will be our first year, which we've actually decided that we're gonna just have uh, Christmas Day at home with just us and the kids. Yeah, yeah, we've Rather, done that a few times. It's nice. Yeah, we, it, most years we would end up running left, right, and centre. Mm. to all different family members and we said like no this, we've just got a Amy's at an age now where she's going to want to play with her toys yeah so and uh, to be honest we just want to relax and yeah no, completely understandable we've done that several times so yeah no, we've, got, we've, we've got 10 people here on Christmas day oh houseful and 15 on Boxing Day blimey yeah so, yeah, no, you're definitely going to be busy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm assuming the uh, the beers are well stocked. Yes, there is a large stack of beer on, on my deck already getting cold, so, yeah. I, I'll probably need it, I should think. <laughs> that's the thing, and that's just for you. Yeah, absolutely. No one else is like, no, that's my beer. Did you <laughs> that's bring your beer? survival guide. <laughs> yeah, that's mine there. Oh, did you bring some Fosters with you? Then that's yours, yeah. Excellent. And uh, Paul can't be with us today as he's uh, not been too well. Yeah, no, so, well, I hope that everyone uh, manages to get some Trekkie, uh, Trekkie Christmas presents. It's always nice when someone surprises you with a, uh, a geeky present. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I think I've got a few lined up. Uh, Obviously, as we record... Um, well, I know, actually, for my birthday, I'm getting season one and season two of The Next Generation on Blu-ray for my birthday, which is cool. 
That was ordered when you stay in Star Trek London. Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. We did season one when I was at Star Trek London because it was on. It was on. Uh, it was on discount. It was on offer. Yeah. For yeah, the it weekend. was on offer during the weekend. But season two only came out a couple of weeks ago, so I know I've got both of those coming. So, I did originally want to watch them in order. Mm-hmm. But come on, let's face it. You got thirteen or fourteen extra minutes of Measure of Man in season two, and we've got Q Who. That's the so, thing. Guess what I'm watching first. I was going to say, you're going to be forgiven for watching them and then yeah. starting from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I would, I, I, would, I would quite like to watch um, Elementary Dear Data as well, because I like that episode. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strong season one episode. Yeah, it is a, it is a, str- a strong one from season one, so yeah, yeah no, that's... And Conspiracy as well, because I just want to watch that... Uh, that alien thing pop out of his chest and get exploded in HD. I'm interested to see if they've touched up the effects on that as well. I hope they haven't. I hope that they've just crisped it up because I think the uh, the, the like Jim Henson animatronics <laughs> that they've got going on f- for the head <laughs> was quite good. <laughs> it's just so corny cool and brilliant. I think, I think they've probably just yeah just moved around the edges, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to yeah. see. So looking forward to that. Excellent stuff. And so, I know I've got the uh, the Star Trek Unauthorised History book coming for my birthday, which is cool. Excellent. And that's actually by uh, Rob Greenberger. It is by Rob Greenberger, who he, I interviewed. Yeah, who just recently got interviewed on the holodeck. Yeah. So if, if you did miss that, uh, it, well, saying that, if you've missed any of the holodeck uh, recently... Uh, Michael has been doing a fantastic job. He's been getting interviews left, right, and centre with authors. He's got them queued up. Yeah, with authors and artists, and he's doing an absolutely fantastic job. So if you want to like a bit of a behind-the-scenes look of how uh, the comics and uh, the books uh, uh, like work on uh, like the author side and stuff, mm. definitely check out the holodeck because he's yeah. been doing an absolutely fantastic job. Now, that have been really good interviews as well. I've really, really enjoyed them. Yeah, he's been doing... Uh, I can't fault the guy. He's been bagging people left, right and centre and not teabagging, just bagging. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, on that note, let's move over here. Now it's time for Star Trek News, brought to you by TrekMateFamily.com. TrekmateFamily.com, bringing you the latest Trek news as and when it happens. Yes, and it's time again for the news. So, a few little uh, juicy bits uh, this week. So, Wayne, Monday the 17th, we saw the new trailer released. Trailer number two. Well, it's the, actually the proper teaser trailer because the one they had a couple of weeks ago was the announcement trailer. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think? I'm going to be totally honest with you. I enjoyed it, but I think I was personally more joyous over the first trailer. Mm. I'm not sure why. I think because quite a few of the same um, scenes are shown. Well, the, the second... The teaser trailer that's been announced this week really shows us just a bit more. It, expa- it, it expands out some of the scenes that we've already seen, so them running through the little forest, and we see a little, we we see do, do see a few extra things. 
we see an empty Enterprise corridor. Woohoo! Yeah. You do see Chekhov running along in the red uniform as well, which is interesting. Yeah, and also we uh, get to see uh, when the uh, when they're having a um, what's it called funeral. Yes. So you see the funeral. They're folding the Federation flag, and just after that scene, we see. At first, I thought it looked like coffins. That's the thing. That is exactly but, what I was going to say. But if you look at it again. It's cryogenics. The cryogenics, because you can see the frost. Yeah. You can see frost on the top of the coffin. So, does that? I mean, you know, it 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 could be a a, a little a misleading thing because that lend credence to the fact that it could be Khan and there is cryogenically frozen. Exactly, because that's what I thought after the after the folding of the flag. I on my first watch I thought they were coffins, yes. lines and lines of coffins. Yeah. But when you actually look at them, they it's are frost. And that the thing is this this whole John Harrison thing, right? They've yeah. been for a, a couple of weeks now saying he's John Harrison, he's John Harrison. Yeah. And they even he, he's not been denying it, he's not been saying anything. They released. I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit. They released the nine minutes yes. this week, but at the end he still doesn't reveal his name. No, he doesn't. Nothing he, at all. I I still think that with the whole oh yeah I'm playing John Harrison thing. I still think they're throw, they're, they're that back a little. They're throwing us on the wrong course. Yeah. And I just from that little bit I'm still thinking it might be Khan. It's still possible, isn't it? It's possible. That's the thing. As much as people like people who take things for face value are very much going to say no and take whatever they say. But JJ is the master of swings and roundabouts. Yeah, he's the master of deception, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. Though in this trailer, we finally get to see a little bit of space. We do. We we do get to see some space, which is okay. I wasn't that worried about the. The fact that we didn't see space in the first trailer. Some people were. Yeah, whatever. Um, but no. yeah, we do we do get to see a little bit. No, but what I was happy about is because obviously uh, in the first trailer you do see scenes of a ship having lost its gravity and people falling and uh, everything. Yeah. But this time it's like pretty much confirmed that is definitely the Enterprise because Scotty's hanging on to a banister. Yes. About to fall, so definitely Enterprise is taking a hell of a beating, and uh, Lost is uh, nav- uh, like it's um oh what's it called gravity the, the, grav, the grav plating yeah yeah the grav plating so saying that it, it is a brilliant brilliant trailer and we also get to see John Harrison being held in the brig we do. Yeah, so we, we we do get to see John Harrison there in in the brig, and I think that's a really nicely done shot. But is it John Harrison? Oh, I don't know. I'm not so convinced. I'm, I think I I mean I'm. It just it just sounds like such a a bland and random name to have for a villain, and maybe yeah. it is that. But I just I don't trust J.J. Abrams to have revealed all of his cards, to put all of his cards out on the table at this point. We've got five months to go, and I'm not convinced that he's telling us the truth. And that's fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We like the suspense. Um, But I did really enjoy the trailer. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. 
There's, there's a little. Like, we'll talk about the, the first nine minutes in a little while, but there's some suspense in there, and still a whole load of questions coming up. And I'm sure there's going to be even more and more questions coming up. I think there's going to be there's going to be another trailer probably in the next couple of months. I think I read. You know, yeah. and, there's, and there's a viral campaign coming up, which we will talk about. That's yeah. going to be slowly coming around. Yeah, exactly. And I, but I tell you, did you not notice with um, this trailer though? How many people are f- falling through the air in this? There one? is a there's, lot of falling. There's a lot of falling a and lot jumping. Of fall, falling and jumping seems to be the in thing in Star Trek movies this year. There was an awful lot of it. There was people falling through space, jumping off of buildings. Hanging over the edge of buildings that seem to be falling down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think this is very much going to be. I'll probably say, I mean, the biggest Star Trek action movie so far for me is probably First Contact. In yeah. terms of pure action, uh, uh, pure action. That's the thing. I, th- I would say if you were in going terms to of having a lot, and well, in terms of having the most action percentage rise. Um, I don't know because I was, that's the thing. Don't get me wrong. This isn't knocking anything whatsoever because I think First Contact is probably the best Trek film there is. But I think that there is still a good portion that is based on the planet. There's still a good portion that's that's very character driven. I would say that probably if you sat down and timed it. I would say that probably 09 was that pipped it to the post. Yeah, well, 09's, 09's a different kettle of fish altogether, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it, but it's that's the milestone now. Yeah, it is probably. But in terms of the trailers alone, I mean, obviously, obviously, I mean, whenever they show trailers for movies, they always show like you know really big dramatic bits because they want to draw you in to make you to see the movie. But yes, it does seem like a very action-packed uh, movie. Uh, I'm, I'm personally very excited. I think it's going to be really, really cool. Very excited for that. I am definitely. I am definitely. So, seeing how many people are jumping and falling, though, the, I'm I'm expecting the second in thing to be emergency transports. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a check off. I can do this. I can do this. Running around an emergency, beaming <laughs> people out. That's the thing. You hope by this point, check off is uh, shared. <laughs> Yeah, enough, enough, enough people know about how to uh, beam people out from falling positions. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Uh, so our second piece of news, which is directly related to um, the trailer, is if anybody was actually that eagle-eyed, which I personally wasn't, I relied no. on... No, I didn't spot this at all. No, and... Uh, well, considering how small it is, I'm surprised that anyone did, but it just shows you how much people nitpick these things. Um, in the second trailer, well, saying that, it probably, if you were watching it at the uh, movies, you probably would have picked up on it more it's than... probably a lot bigger, yeah, on, on a big screen, yeah. Yeah. On, on a little, on a small YouTube screen like I saw it on, you couldn't see it, but... Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, there is a uh, viral ad campaign that's been started... Uh, which, if you notice, when uh, John Harrison is in the brig uh, on the cell panel, uh, just to his left, I think uh, there's a uh, little ad campaign just saying, like, "Are you the 1701.com?" Yes. So, so uh, after 
after you head on over to uh, iu1701.com, uh, you're then uh, presented with, uh, which is basically just a sign-up sheet. So you get to put in your email address, your country, postcode, and date of birth, which then uh, lets you know that you've, uh, you're going to be receiving information as and when. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering about this because, I mean, like, like you, I didn't see this in the trailer at all, didn't spot it by a mile because I was, I was looking at Benedict Cumberbatch, not was in the, not what was in the bottom right hand corner of the screen. But when I did go back and look, you could just see it. I, I saw it first on Twitter and someone retweeted about, are you the 1701? I wonder what that's about. Are you the 1701? I wonder, do you think they're going to do something, they're going to pick 1,701 people at random and give them something special? Are you the 1701? Are you, as in, are you one of the 1,701 people? They very or, well... Do you yeah. think? Yeah, it I, very I, I well could be I, something I, like that. I don't know. Will they pick 1,701 people to be totally geeked out and you know have some special prize, or is it just... Are you one of the Enterprise? We don't know. We don't know. But it's it's obviously all tied into the movie, and I'm sure that, you know, like most viral campaigns, it will it will leak information very, very, very slowly. But marketing and clever campaigns is JJ's thing, so it'll yeah. be interesting to see what happens. That's the thing. I, I'm positive that that little ad will uh, n- not be in the um, actual main uh, feature. Oh, no, 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 absolutely not. That's all. It's you, just you something tell, viral. You tell, for... When you actually looked at it, you could tell it was superimposed over the top. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's just yeah. something to catch our attention. Yeah, but needless to say, I signed up. Yeah, same here. And then once you've signed up, it yeah. just tells you that you it will thank you and we will tell you when the search begins. So they're searching for... Mm. Se- they're searching for... 1,701 of something. Well, they say searching. I, I, I think we might be on the right sort of lines, though. I think that I think that makes sense. Are you the 1701? And I just had the idea. What if they could pick 1,701 people for something? Yeah. Don't know what, but it sounds yeah. plausible, doesn't it? It's totally plausible. I'm often right, so... <laughs> Not uh, one far from me, you know, to be smug, but you know, <laughs> often proved to be right. Smug mode on. on. Smug mode engaged. But it's just what I would do. Are you the 17 and 1? I think let's pick 1,071 people, give them something cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll be interesting to see uh, what they've got in store. So uh, watch this space. Okay, another little bit of news. Uh, there's a Star Trek exhibition has opened up, so I'm just going to read the news story from today, 19th of December, which is actually yesterday. Kuala Lumpur, which is in Malaysia, for those of you who don't know, has become the first Asian city to display items from the Star Trek the exhibition after a successful one in Vancouver, Canada. Now, this is very cool. This is cool. I would, uh, I would love to go and see this. Star Trek The Exhibition is the world's largest Star Trek info and artefact exhibit ever. You'll be able to view authentic costumes, props, set pieces and other things from all Star Trek releases, from the TV show to the current movies. You'll get to see how detailed and precise these items are. you get a glimpse into what it would be like to really live in the Star Trek world. Well, I thought I already did. But... <laughs> okay. The exhibition will be held until the 31st of March 2013. 
Highlights for what visitors can inspect include a replica of the transporter, the legendary captain's chair, and a seven-meter-long, seven-meter-long model of the USS Enterprise Starship. Nice. Which, as you say, which one? Either way, it's seven, either way that either way it's seven meters long. Yeah, that's probably going to be one of the film ones. I would have thought. Yeah, but either way, it's seven meters. Yeah. yeah, that's that amazing. Would, that would be fantastic. I mean, imagine the detail on that. Yeah, and uh, it's nice to see that they're actually taking the exhibition uh, to different areas of the world that they haven't necessarily visited before as well. Yeah, it would be nice to have one here, though, wouldn't it? Did you ever go to... Uh, because I know that they done one in the early 2000s, but I missed that one. No. Uh, but did, no. did you go to the one in the mid-90s uh, no. that was touring the country? That was no, fantastic. I no, I didn't. Yeah, I, I went down to it in, um, I think it's Southport. It, um, is, it, is that where the victory is? Um, could be, could be. Where the HMS victory, I think. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it, they held it there, and that was like back in Trek's heyday, and that was absolutely fantastic because they had um, they had a replica of the uh, Enterprise uh, like from uh, TOS Bridge, and then they had uh, they had so many different things like actual uh, props from the shows and the movies, and uh, by that point it was just about before First Contact came out. Mm. And um, they actually had Soren's rocket from oh, Generations. Nice. nice. And they actually had that so you could physically touch it. And like, actually, it, it, was, it, it was nice to actually physically get your hands on one of the screen-used props. It, it's, it's as Data and uh, Picard uh, say in, in, in First Contact. It's all the, more, all the more real when you touch it. Yeah. And it was absolutely fantastic. I had a really good time, and that was uh, that was way back when. I think about ninety-five. Oh wow, that's a long time ago. You'd have been a wee young man. Yeah, I. Th- uh, but saying that, it might have been slightly after. When did First Contact come out? Nineteen ninety-six. Yeah, it must have been ninety-five. Must yeah. have been ninety-five. So yeah, no, I was a young lad. And eleven. And then I. Uh, almost uh, leaped for joy when I walked out of the actual exhibition and saw they had a whole room that was just dedicated to the action figures. Oh, okay. (laughs) And it was just from ceiling to floor action figures all the way around this room. Awesome. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. So, yeah, no, if you are in the... uh, Malaysia area, then uh, definitely hop, uh, hop on over to see that. I hope they bring it uh, to uh, England on the way home. Well, they have to. I mean, you know, the UK is one of the biggest uh, Star Trek markets outside the US. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got to have it here. Well, Please. that's the thing. In, in Asia, traditionally, Star Trek isn't actually that big. No, it's not. It's not actually that popular. Outside the US and Europe, and or I should say Australia. more West- yeah, westernised country, even though Australia isn't in the West, but it's a it's a westernised country. Um, it tends to be big in those markets, but not so big in Asian markets. But obviously there's a demand there down in Malaysia, so it, it's cool that they're getting that. Yeah, yeah. No, it, is, it, it very much is. So, um, yeah, check that out. Um, also, uh, this week, going back to 
the next Trek film, Into Darkness. The, the nine minutes was actually released at IMAX. It was released at IMAX. And through the powers, through the magical powers of the internet, we've seen, raging torrent. <laughs> we've seen those first nine minutes, haven't we? I haven't. I'm going to hold my hands up. I haven't yet. I haven't yet. Well, as I told you, Wayne, you need to sort your life out, get your priorities right. It's nine minutes, and watch the first nine minutes of the Star Trek movie. I know, but you said, no, don't do that. We've got to start recording. Warning. Spoiler alert. I repeat. Warning. Spoiler alert. But seeing as I haven't done my homework, how about we uh, jump in and do a real-time review of the preview nine minutes? Let's do it. Okay. sounds cool. So we'll put out a spoiler alert warning right now, people, if you don't want to know what is going to be happening in the first nine minutes. Skip ahead about ten. Yeah. Maybe twelve. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and, maybe, uh, maybe 20 as we talk about it but <clears throat> yeah but j- just skip ahead because we if you don't want it spoiled we don't want to spoil it for you so just skip ahead but I, th- I think this will be a good opportunity to just discuss it so Mark have you got your video ready I have my video ready okay. shall we do a wilderness countdown we shall okay 5, 2, 3 uh, no that's wrong I can't even count <laughs> Seven, eight, nine, twenty-six, thirty-one, five, go. Five, four, three, two, one, play. Okay, it is a little bit shaky, but it was yeah. taken on a on a camcorder, so. Yes. Bad robot productions. Okay, so you got an yeah, alarm yeah. clock. Oh yeah, five five a.m. Well, I'll, I'll it say did look like a very program. futuristic alarm clock. Though. It didn't. Well, if you look at this apartment... Oh, it's Matey from Doctor Who. It is. That's the guy who's in Doctor Who. And um, uh, and this woman who's called Somebody Contractor. I don't know who the name is. Nice big dog there, though. Yeah, So we've got a young couple there. They've woken up. It's in London. You can uh, see there's St. London. St. Paul's Cathedral there. It says yeah. 2259.55. I, I tell you what, that just reaffirms for me. I always said London needs more skyscrapers. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a hell of a lot of big ones there, isn't there? Yeah, well, it makes no sense that yeah. we're pretty much one of the only capital cities in the world that like doesn't have hardly any skyscrapers. I mean, there's there's a few big ones coming. There's a few big ones coming. Not but anyway, they, they, they've gone across to this very traditional looking. It doesn't look very hospital. futuristic at all. I mean, the only bit in the hospital that looks futuristic is the people. They've got people on sort of um, floating beds. Floating beds, yeah, as they're pushing them around. So I like the um, car. The, uh, that yeah. they came in on. Yeah. It was almost like one from Back to the Future too. Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, so they're there and they're in, a, in in the hospital room, and they're there with a young girl, which is which is their daughter, and mm-hmm. they're giving her a little cute bunny rabbit. She's obviously seriously ill, well, seriously yeah. sick of some kind, and uh, mother's just holding. Well, yeah, no, she's obviously. Do you reckon she's dead or dying? I think she's dying. I think she's got a serious She's not illness. gone yet. No, she's not gone yet, but I think she's got a serious illness because in a moment, uh, Khan, I mean, uh, John Harrison will say, <laughs> <laughs> will say, I can save her. 
Maybe he is coming up. He's he so much like Patrick Stewart. Yeah, he's just got that same sort of... Same tone of voice. Shakespearean English voice, hasn't he? I tell you... (laughs) He does look great, though, doesn't he, Benedict Cumberbatch? Okay. He's fantastic as a villain. Okay, and then we're skipping straight to the uh, Red Planet. Yeah, Planet Nibiru. I have got something that I want to say about that previous scene, but I'll wait for it. Oh, okay, so... Okay... So two hooded characters are getting uh, chased Run, by a mob. This little, that's the red forest, which which is nice because obviously we saw that a few months ago. When and also we did see it, and we said, "Oh look, there's hooded characters. Who would they be?" Yeah. That monster that he just shot. Mm. Didn't it? Didn't that remind you of something from Star Wars? It was. It was very like Star. It's very Star Warsy, and it's very like the scene in. Star Trek 2009, where Kirk is on Delta Vega as well. Yeah. yeah. And, okay, so Kirk, it's been revealed that it's Kirk and McCoy being chased by these natives. By these white-skinned aliens, yeah. I think, I don't think they're... This painted, I think they're just painted that way. Um, it did look like makeup. Okay. So here's Spock in his lava suit that was leaked so long ago. Oh, that was leaked a a long time ago, isn't it? So he's in this sort of reflective, heat-proof space suit, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. And uh, Uhura was hooking him up. The shuttle was being guided by uh, uh, not Chekhov, Sulu. I guess Sulu is the best pilot they've got, and uh, who was then. Gave yeah. him a kiss goodbye. Give him a little kiss goodbye. And Send him off on his way. Because I know from this, the the whole plot line is this planet, there's this huge vol- volcanic eruption on the planet. It's going to, you know, wipe out their environment and, and, you know, kill everything on the planet. And he's got this super ice cube, which is going to calm down the volcano and basically neutralise it, so... He's going to save the planet, and they've, they've talked a little bit in this about the, the Prime Directive, and so, that it can't be revealed. So. so at what point did they actually fit the shuttles with a trapdoor? Yeah. Rather than I, jumping I out of the back door, which I would... There was a door at the bottom. There, there was a door at the bottom. I, I think I would have preferred to have seen him looking over the edge and jump out. Yeah. It would have been consistent with the amount of jumping that's going on so far in the film. So that shuttle's not in a good way, though, is it? It's been knocked no. a hell of okay. a lot. Oh, there he goes, into the hospital. Yeah, so Spock's okay, being I'm held in. on a tether, isn't he? That's just fell. Yeah, he's just fell. Oh, dear. That's not good. I'm in this volcano. Oh, oh, oh. And he's just welding across. I mean, there's magma everywhere. Yeah. And luckily, he landed on one of the solid pieces out of... <laughs> with this tiny little solid piece floating in this massive sea of magma and he just manages to land on it I think I would have preferred to actually see it like seeing as his suit was designed to deal with it see if he like see him actually land in the lava yeah see how long he could survive yeah but, it, but you just notice Suda there he's got the yeah, and, and uh, Uhura as well they've got these very tight looking environmental suits environmental suits or or wetsuits almost, aren't they? So okay. he just went through the forest there, and he's just... That was weird. He just... Kirk just unraveled a sort of poster with some language on it. 
The scroll which distracted the locals. You think that was telling them, look, you know, don't worry about it, we're here, and, you know, we're here to save your planet. Oh, 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 and they just jumped off a cliff. Okay, and they've not beamed out, they landed in the water. In the water, and they're they're just... And now they're swimming, but I tell you what... They're they're swimming underwater, how could they swim that well underwater? Maybe they've got some breathing equipment or something. No, bollocks, they weren't carrying breathing equipment. They've just swum probably like, like... a hundred feet underwater. Yeah. Yeah, and they're swimming as if they're fucking dolphins. Yeah. So obviously okay. they've just swum onto the Enterprise, and they have got these little wetsuits on. Oh, and they're Scotty. There you go. Actually, they we've had something on their we've eyes. Been, we've been doing here since uh, yesterday. Okay, so that's Sorry where the, the Enterprise. Enterprise. Okay, so the Enterprise was. Uh, that's where they were being underwater. Okay, so now we've cut back to Spock uh, on his little platform. Yeah, yeah, he's there in the volcano and he's, he's programming this little device. Uh, obviously, the super ice cube that's going to calm down the volcano. And I mean, whoa. And that's a huge super eruption going There's on. There's a huge wave of magma coming towards him there. Oh, we'll cut back to the planet. So it's obviously, it's uh, erupted massive amounts of lava and it's destroying stuff all around. All these little white-skinned people are... Mm-hmm. Looking pretty worried. And um, okay. we're back on the bridge, and we've got a c- couple of people here in these wetsuits going on. Okay, Uhura and nice Sulu are back there. Uhura looks nice in that tight uniform, doesn't she? And um, we've got Scott uh, Spock back there in oh no, back in the volcano, back on the bridge. It's cutting very quickly. Oh, huge fish, big a fish, huge, big what? Star Trek. Uh, Star. Why Wars would that moment. be on the view screen? Yeah, big Star Wars moment. There. Star Wars moment. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay, so, uh, you know, they're, they're talking to Spock in the volcano, things are going pear-shaped, he's, you know... Oh, I tell you what... The plan's going to be destroyed, you know, you, you've got to, got to save it, no, 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 the Prime Directive must be upheld at all costs. What would you, what would you do to Spock? No, no, you would let me, you would let me die, you would let me die. I tell you what, seeing the bridge though, uh, the lens flares are back with a vengeance. Yes, of course they are. <laughs> I, I didn't personally have a problem with the lens flares. Yeah, well, I don't know. A part of me doesn't, then, but then a part of me's like, yeah, but the, the only cause of lens flares is a camera. Mm. So it, it's almost like admitting that there's just a camera there. Huh. Okay, so Spock is now looking like he's ready to sacrifice himself. It, it does. Look, it looks like he's resigned to the fact that he's going to be destroyed. It, look, it looks like he's standing there being, he's meditating, isn't it? And this volcano is yeah. big style. He's uh, he's just doing his own. <laughs> and and then we cut to a little preview it. of. It's basically the trailer, isn't it? So yeah, we've got, we've got to the two trailer. Cliff, we've got two cliffhangers there. So who is Benedict Cumberbatch playing? We still don't know. He was only in there for about. He heard his voice for a few seconds. We saw his face for a few seconds. Um, the second cliffhanger is how are they going to save Spock? What are they going to do? How are they going to save him without violating the Prime Directive? Now, yeah. Kirk will Kirk will be reckless, I would say, at this point, and he will just you know, okay, get the ship know, out of the water. That's uh, the thing. Straight after that, we're going to see that little bit where the ship rises up out of the water and then see them come along and save Spock. That, that goes about... They're, they're not going to kill Spock in the first four minutes no. of okay. the film. No. So... 
But then, okay, so trailers over people. A um, couple of thoughts. They were on this. You're saying that you've uh, found out since that they were on this mission to save this planet from the super eruption. Yes. Okay then. Uh, just as a side point, I know it's not a huge plot device or anything, but as Trek, why are they not? These are obviously a pre-warp civilization, yes. and they're trying to keep away from like, actually being discovered. As a pre-warp civilization, they haven't engaged in first contacts, and as such, the planet should be left to its own devices, and if there is a mass extinction, that's what was meant to be. Yes, you just leave them alone, yeah. Now, it was a good point you, you raised before we start recording this. Absolutely, you would just leave them alone, if that's nature's course. The, the, uh, that, that, that's what you assume from it, okay? Yeah. The planet's going to be wiped out, okay, just leave them. The, the only instance I could see that they might be able to justify that is if the Federation, when, say, observing that planet, had screwed something up and it was their fault yeah. that it was screwing up and they were trying to rectify it. That's, that's the only sort of instance that I could see that it, uh, under the Prime Directive they would be allowed to do that. Yeah, but maybe in this universe they're just going to go around saving people, but... Maybe, uh, we, we may find out there is an important reason to save this planet. Maybe it holds um, some sort of significance. Maybe it, there's, could do, it could do. It could you, do. You never know. There might be some sort of mineral or something that's so rare that they can't afford to lose it. That they... Or maybe it could just be a contrivance as well. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So, Cumberbatch. Yes. By that little scene, right, we get to see... Uh, matey, I can't remember his character's name from Doctor Who. No, I've, I don't watch Doctor Who, but yeah, I know who you mean. Yeah. Um, it's something like Joey or something. He used to hang about with Billy Piper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't care. <laughs> no, he, okay, so they're standing there with his daughter, who is desperately ill, and then John Harrison says that he can save her. Yes. Of course. Of course he could save her with maybe some eugenics. Or some, yeah, a little bit of genetic manipulation. Yeah. Possibly. That's what I'm, that's what my brain jumped to straight away was he could save her by turning her into a superhuman. Yeah, by augmenting her DNA. Um, But then maybe that's what you're supposed to think. Maybe you've got, to, you, you've got to remember with J.J. Abrams, you know, nothing's ever going to be straightforward. So, yeah, okay. But I was thinking that as well, and obviously that does tie in with the fact that in the trailer you had the, um, you know, you had the, the, the those coffins there, which weren't coffins. They actually they looked, looked like quite, stasis pods. They were stasis pods, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're wondering, mm, okay. He looked good. I mean, obviously, there wasn't really much of a performance there from Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, you only get a second, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you get a few seconds of uh, a voiceover and about three or four seconds of actual Face footage time, yeah. of him. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure he's going to be awesome in it. I'm sure he's going to be absolutely fantastic. I've got no doubt about that. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I agree he's going to be absolutely fantastic. Seeing some of his previous work, I have no doubt that he's going to be 
amazing. But from what I saw there, it's going to be good. I, you can tell it's going to be a great movie. Oh, definitely. I'm really, really looking it, forward. It, it fills me with confidence. However, for me personally, it screams Khan. It's looking... It is looking likely, isn't it? Even though they've turned around and said, John Harrison, John Harrison, John Harrison. I I think I just think that's code name for Khan. John Harrison does sound like such a... It's just... No, just such a... White bread and American name, just... Just a random, sort of, bland name. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just very... It just seems... As you said, it's just something that you would make up if the IRS was at your door. Yeah, it was your name, Fred, Fred Smith. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, I, I'm not convinced... Can you honestly see the likes of John Harrison being the uh, like the next big bad guy this summer? Kirk versus John, John, John Harrison. Harrison. No, I mean Khan or. Though also what uh, what makes me steer towards that as well is when you look at the trailer, there is never any scenes of Kirk facing Cumberbatch. Mm. No, there isn't. Um, um, there, there's, a, there's a shot where one of them punches and then the other one punches. Doesn't mean they're punching each other or the, no. even in the same scene. But, but yeah, there seems okay. to be a lot of looks that would be like looks into uh, view screens or looks of uh, like just speaking to people on audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just just, just because they only ever met across a view screen in, in Khan rather in than. But they met in person in Spacey. Yes, they did. So. They did. But if they were trying to stay, if they were retelling, like totally changing the Spacey tale, but giving it a bit of a spin, giving it a bit of feel from the Wrath of Khan, mm. they could easily change Mix that the up. two up. Yeah. 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 I'm not convinced that it's either. I think JJ's got something different up his sleeve you're, you're sitting on the fence well no I'm not sitting on the fence I, I just don't think that he would be so obvious to retell Math of Khan or Space Seed they're, they're both fantastic then you, Space Seed's a great episode but the thing Mathafarn is Khan is a fantastic movie but I'm not sure he would retell it I think he's going to I think he's going to play with people's heads and he's going to re-spin it in a, in a quite a different way. But that's what I'm saying. You don't have to retell it. It'll be an all-new tale. It'll be totally different. With, with similar characters. Yeah. Mm. But then again, they've said Alice Eve is Carol Marcus, so... Mm-hmm. Which I'm still not convinced I, of. I, no, I, I would go with that. I would go... There's no reason for me to disbelieve that. The only other... Because we know that she's definitely uh, a canon character, so it would only be uh, her. It would only be Carol Marcus, Nurse Chapel, or um, Doctor uh, Elizabeth Dana. Yeah, Dana. Yeah. So, but I'm I'm happy to go with some of the looks that you see Kirk exchange with her. I'm happy to assume that it is Carol Marcus. Yeah. 
And uh, that wouldn't bother me at all. I think it's it's a different universe. She doesn't have to be non-staff. No, 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 no. She doesn't have to be the same character at all. Yeah. So, no, I think I think that would be nice to actually give Kirk a stable love interest. Well, we'll see how that carries on to into movie three, shall we? Yeah. 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 Well, it'll be interesting to see. Be interesting <laughs> to see. So, that was the news. Yes, and hailing frequencies are open, so we're going to kick off with a little bit of uh, feedback on our last show, which was uh, episode 52, Mm -hmm. Nation Tours, where uh, Wayne had a little chat with uh, Larry Nemechek and uh, and, and Taras, and uh, I really enjoyed that interview, so we've got a little bit of feedback here. And we have an, uh, an email here from Michael Clark who says, Another great show, great interview with Larry and Taras. I would love to go on that tour at some point in my life. Well, yeah, wouldn't we all? Oh, That's yeah. the whole point. That, I mean, ten days going out into the desert and seeing all of that stuff. and You know, them talking about, you know, on the bus and it gets to like 40-odd degrees on the bus. Mm. I'm not sure I, I, I would be comfortable with that, but it would be fantastic to go around and see all of the sights that Going out into the desert in the sort of western US in August, maybe yeah. a little bit warm for me. But still, I don't, I, 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 I don't do too well with heat, but I would so much love to see some of those Star Trek sites. I really would. Or maybe you could borrow one of uh, Khan's cryogenic pods. <laughs> yeah, just just <laughs> yeah, just be uh, laid up in the back of the bus in a cryogenic pod, getting cold. Yeah, that would be good. Yes, and uh, Mike finishes off his email with uh, congrats, Mark, on winning the first three-way track off. Yes, very well done. I shall, I shall hope to uh, continue that trend, but yeah. we'll see later, shall we? And uh, what we've decided with the track off as well is uh, now that it's like a three-way competition, if someone uh, isn't there for that show, then <laughs> that's their fault. <laughs> So the other two will continue the competition. Okay, so Paul gets screwed over on this on this episode then. <laughs> on this particular one, it gives us all an incentive to turn up. Yeah, good call. Good call. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it gives us the opportunity to definitely one of us will get another point ahead of Paul. Hey. This week, so yeah, and we've got some more feedback from uh, Captain Hot Dog who says, great show, guys. The interview was very good. Larry Nemeshek is always a great guest, and I think I have a better tour idea than Larry's. Oh, I would sign up for the Trekmate tour. <laughs> Take us through London and follow the same paths that the Patak boys took Mark and Paul down during Star Trek London. Okay. See the first room that Paul recorded, his first bracer impact. <laughs> LOL. I love this week's trek off and definitely love the bloopers. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I mean, going, I mean, it wasn't very interesting actually walking through the streets of London. Mind you, I can't remember too much of it because I was a bit pissed. Um, <laughs> yeah, seeing, seeing yeah, we, we could actually do that, couldn't we? We could have this is where Brace for Impact was recorded. This is Mark's dining room where he records uh, the Trekmate show every week. You're going to have a bit of travel time between sites, I think. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but uh, that would be quite good fun, wouldn't it? The Trekmate tour. Yeah. For all you, for all you hardcore Trekmate fans out there, 
Maybe, maybe we'll see if we can pull that off for you. <laughs> if we know that there's a demand. Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> so I, I think there was just one more comment, wasn't there? Yeah, there's just one more comment there, and that's from uh, from John or Holodeck3. And he says, uh, listen to the show last night and thought it was great. I wrote about the Geek Nation tour about two weeks ago and thought that the interview was insightful. I enjoyed the outtakes, which made me laugh. Yeah, I mean, it was it was good fun putting those. Uh, I always like to stitch people up when we do yeah. The, yeah when we do the bloopers, and I enjoyed those because basically, if if I record a show, if if when we record the show and uh, I, I've got the little MP3 Skype recorder going, anything you say is fair game. Yeah. <laughs> From that moment that you from, sign from, on. From the second I talk to you on Skype to the second I sign off on Skype, anything you say is fair game. And Paul was like, oh, yeah, I just farted. Oh, no, no, I really need shit. Oh, yeah, I might have shit myself. Sorry. <laughs> from from second one right to the end, it's all fair game. So, yeah, yeah I'm glad I, you enjoyed the bloopers. Uh, I, I thought they were quite good last week. Yeah, no, they were, they were uh, definitely healthy bloopers. Yes. <laughs> so if you want to leave any feedback just email us at trekmate at trekmatefamily.com or head on over to forum.trekmatefamily.com and comment on the uh, latest uh, post for the uh, show I also am going to be putting a link to that particular post in the uh, in in the show notes so from now on, if there's anything you want to know about the show, uh, links to any news articles or where to leave feedback, uh, the show notes will now include that as well. Yes, they will. So just uh, head on over to trekmatefamily.com, find this week's pod, and you'll find the links to everything that's in there. So um, uh, you can also obviously tweet us if you want, though uh, we won't read any of them on there. <laughs> but it's always nice to hear from you. It is. So uh, find us on Twitter. We're at Trekmate1701. So uh, I suppose now, actually, this week, uh, I'll do a little intro now. Uh, yesterday, I managed to get to sit down with a gentleman uh, named Paul Olson, who uh, we got introduced to uh, through his appearance at Star Trek London. He's an absolutely fantastic guy, had such a great time talking to him, and I'm sure that you're all going to enjoy uh, listening to this interview. So um, uh, here it is. And now, the guest of the week. The guest of the week. The guest of the This week's guest, we're being joined by uh, Mr. Paul Olson, who, and if you're not familiar with his work, then I'm sure that you'll soon realise that you've probably spent a good amount of your time actually uh, admiring it without even realising, as uh, you, uh, Paul was actually one of the gentlemen that had uh, a hand in creating the first Enterprise to feature in a motion picture. Hello, Paul. Hello, Wayne. How are you? Wayne, I'm, well, I'm very well, thank you. Um, when you first wrote to me, mm -hmm. I thought, Wayne, well, that's a very American name, but sort of from down south. It's <laughs> not an English name, so I was quite surprised to uh, to see that you were, um, in fact, English. 
<laughs> yeah, no, there's uh, no Texan in me uh, whatsoever, as far as I know. Right. At, at least uh, only on social occasions. Well, unusual name for a, a you know a, a Brit. Yeah, no, uh, I I have no idea why my parents went with that. No idea. But uh, yeah, I've uh, been been lumbered with it. <laughs> but still, no. So, and obviously you're um, uh, a Yankee that's currently here uh, in our beautiful British Isles. Well, yeah, I I I, uh, I lived here in the seventies. Um, then uh, I came from San Francisco. I was in the hey, you know, in the Haight Ashbury with the Flower Power and all that stuff. I had a poster company there called Funky Features. Mm-hmm. And when that all that that whole scene all kind of imploded and it got really nasty in '69, then I moved over here because I had a couple of friends over here, and I lived here for five years. And then uh, and I was playing drums and in the music business and. The Arab oil embargo of 73-74 meant that there was no vinyl available in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, because vinyl is an oil-rich commodity. Yeah. And uh, but it was still available in America, and so all the the record companies moved to LA, opened offices in LA, and most of the most of the musicians moved there as well to followed the record companies and you know living in LA wasn't bad um moved to LA and um then I met an English girl got her pregnant moved over here uh we split up and then she got married and moved to Texas so then I thought well what am I doing here so then I moved back to LA and then they came back here and I wanted to be near my son so then I came back here and then they moved to Singapore and I was a nightmare so I've been here for seven years this time, and um, uh, I'm here for good now. I, I like England. Uh, good. Uh, as we were saying before, it's it, it's lucky that you was here because uh, you managed to uh, spend some time at Destination Star Trek London, and that's that's what really kicked uh, our contact off because uh, our news editor actually attended your talk. Oh, oh, right. News editor, male or female? Male. Man, don't well, get too I excited. Enjoyed, I hope he enjoyed it. He really, yeah, he did, and that's what, uh, that's why he was more than happy to um, report on your uh, new ebook. Oh right, right, yeah. Yeah, no, he uh, he really did enjoy it, and that's you was over on was it stage three, the uh, stage C, the um, C. open stage. Yeah, that's yes, that's, yeah, yes. Yeah, no, he uh, had nothing but good things to say about the talk. Oh, well, good. Um, did he get to handle the meteorite, do you know? Uh, I don't know personally. I, I've only actually spoken to him in person once, and he, uh, when he wrote the article and I heard from you, uh, I uh, contacted him and he said, it was a brilliant talk, you're going to have a great time uh, chatting to Paul. Well, I had, a, I had a really, really good time at the event. I mean, I, I wasn't prepared for how amazing it would be. I, I spoke, I was living in L.A. And, uh, till 2005, and um, I, I spoke, uh, uh, there was a, a James Doohan tribute um, in 2004, just a year before he died. Mm-hmm. And I spoke at that. And it, it was nice, but it, it, it wasn't. A monster like the uh, like the XL one, 
and um, uh, I, I wasn't prepared for how incredible it was going to be. And and also the kind of people who went there. Obviously, there were some real diehard Trek fans and and uh, you know people whose life revolved around Star Trek, but not many, in fact. It, mostly just people who really enjoyed the shows. And I think uh, the popularity of it was down to the fact that uh, Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. and also the Enterprise, you know, the one with uh, Patrick Stewart, uh, yes. became so popular. Not, it's not the film so much. I think it was more the TV it was very much so because the actual uh, the the latest JJ films uh, like uh, weren't represented at all there. Well, I I don't keep up with it, so I, I mean I I didn't even know this was going to take place. It was a friend of mine who's, who's who is a self confessed Trekkie mm-hmm. called me and said, "Did you know there's a big thing? Uh, you know, would you like me to call him up and and represent you and see if." I can get you to you know perform there, and I said sure, but I, I was totally unaware of it because, in fact, like when we were working on the film, mm-hmm. uh, and I know fans will be, uh, devast- well maybe not devastated to hear this, but a little disappointed. There wasn't one single Star Trek fan who worked on the special effects. Wow, now that's Nobody. the thing, but at the time that's. I would say that's not necessarily surprising, considering before the motion picture, uh, you literally only had the original series. So it it hadn't gained the huge momentum that it necessarily had after the next generation. Well, yeah, that's probably true. And and also, I mean, the, the you know, everyone who worked on the on the film. Uh, on the effects side and the models and shooting all the special effects and everything, um, it was another job. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me it was. It was my first uh, uh, opening into the film business. But for everyone else, uh, you know, it was the next film that came along and they knew somebody who knew somebody or they were part of this group or whatever. And and so then that's you worked on that film. And some people worked on Close Encounters and some were working on... Um, on uh, airplane and some were working on, you, you know, these things just came along. Yes. And uh, I think there was one guy who helped uh, the designer of the ship, gave him some clues, who was really into the into the uh, uh, TV program and into the whole uh, ethos of mm-hmm. uh, Roddenberry's vision. But um, other than that, um, you know, we... I mean, we enjoyed working on it, but none of us were really big fans. But now, <laughs> yeah, now it, you know it's gotten. I was so knocked out with the interest that so many people had in the model. Definitely. Well, that's the thing. You're uh, in the motion picture. It's probably one of uh, the most iconic things about the film is the ship. It spends so much time with such detailed shots. Uh, like You probably spend about 20 minutes just looking at the ship in the well, whole film. And the ship is the star of the show. Yeah. Of, of the movie. It's not, not, not the characters. I mean, I think... Uh, and I'm not taking anything away from... You know. I, I'm sure Bill Shatner would uh, argue that, but... <laughs> 
No, no, no. I, I, I don't think he would actually. I, I, I'm not taking anything away from William or, or, or James Dewan or you know any, any of the characters, but um, you know all the adventures take place within, or they begin at least from within the ship, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and she is such an iconic looking goofy looking thing if you really take a, the design apart i mean it's a real goofy design but it's it's a design that's instantly recognizable and it's so different from everything else out there and what really surprised me is um a lot of people more than a few uh came up to me and they were really curious about models and uh a lot of them who you, you know everything they look at now is cgi Mm-hmm. And a lot of people said, I wish they would get back to, you know, making miniatures. That's what they're called in the business. Yeah. Um, uh, because they're real. And and with CGI, they're not real. And you know they're not real because they're they're so amazing that they couldn't be real. And the, the problem with CGI is you can do so many wonderful things. And what people tend to do is if they can do it, they do it. And... With a model, you're kind of limited, and so it looks more real on the screen. Yeah, and and also for fans, if you're trying to recreate that afterwards, uh, some of the CGI ships, you're going to have a real uh, job on your hands if you're just trying to make a screen-perfect replica of something that they've created using a PC. Well, of course, And, and, and everyone knows that those things aren't real. They they're ephemeral um whereas and you you know and and the original model of course was in the first movie so it's the it's the the genesis of all the the other models and um so that's the one that uh, people love but i was i just wasn't prepared for the amount of love and interest that so many people from all walks of life had for the model and uh, I, you know, which is why I wrote the book because I, you know I came home, I got home at midnight Sunday night, and um, you know put my head down and I woke up in the morning and thought you know I just had the most incredible experience in meeting people from all over the world who really are very very interested in this and the fact that you know I'm still around the guy who designed it is still around the guy who built it is still around, and the guy I worked with, the model maker who was just ahead of me, uh, Mark Stetson, is still around, and they're all still in business. So I thought, you know what, maybe it would be a good idea to get all this down, you know, while we're all still here. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah, no, definitely. These things need to be documented, especially uh, as it's never really been documented in the detail that you have with your book. Well, no, and, and I was really pleased that uh, Richard, who designed it, um, and Jim and Mark uh, contributed to it. I'm still waiting for Jim to um, provide me with some more photos. But uh, uh, and, and he said, and, and this is going to be teeth-grindingly awful, but just last year he threw out most of his patterns and molds <laughs> of, of the Starship. Wow. Well, he's been keeping them, and and it, just like me, you, you know, it, it, we've we've moved on to different things, and, yeah. and we really are not aware mm-hmm. of the of how special this model is to people. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. I suppose for you guys, it, with it being just another job in a huge line of jobs, uh, it, you are uh, oblivious to the sentimentality that uh, millions of uh, people give to these ships that you create. Well, yeah, it's you know, um, uh, Warner Brothers when they made Casablanca, right? Mm-hmm. Were churning out, I think. That year, they churned out 120 films, I think. Yeah. Um, and Casablanca was just one of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they knew it was a good script and everything, but they didn't know it was going to be such an iconic film when they made it. It just was one of the ones that came along. And then afterwards, you know, they made the film, they release it, it goes out there. And then, you know, a year or two later, all of a sudden, people look back and think, you know what? I mean, it really struck a chord with people. And it's the same with, with the Enterprise, uh, uh, you, you know, and all of us who were involved with it, you know, we went on to different things working. Well, all the other guys are still in the film business. And, um, you know, I, it was it was totally invisible to me. Mm-hmm. And it's only as a result of, of uh, going to the Destination Star Trek London thing that it really drove. It was really driven home to me um, that, you know, I managed to uh, contribute to something that's very special to a a lot of people and um, and very important and in the scheme of things and um, so it only made sense to you know to write it all down and I we really appreciate that because it, I tell you what though uh, who did you say had the molds that he threw out Jim Dow who built it. Um, I- I bet he, uh, that's the thing, he, even for sanity reasons, he could have made a fine bit of money for their molds. Well, it's, uh, well, he probably wouldn't be able to, uh, I would imagine they, it, it, there would be some contractual thing he could, you know, with Paramount and yeah. everything. But, um, even though he did have them, but if you think about it, um, you, you know, he didn't, have the the experience I had at the London thing, mm-hmm. um, and um, and he still doesn't have it. I mean, I sent him a copy of the book and he's read it, but obviously he doesn't get the impact that I got. And um, so you know, he had all this bulky stuff up in his loft, um, mm-hmm. you know, for thirty one years. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, at some point you think, oh, well, I've, I've, I've kept this for so long and it's not it's just taking up space. I'm going to get rid of it. And, of course, you know, just after he does, then I contact him and he goes. <laughs> yeah. But, well, that's the thing. I think until you've actually seen that human element, it, it's sometimes hard to grasp because also uh, us Star Trek fans get lumbered into one pot of being a bit a bit strange, a bit weird and take things a bit too literally. But that's simply down to the nature that if a news crew's there, they're going to want to speak to the odd jobs. They're not going to want to speak to Joe normal, which takes up the majority of the fan base. Right. Right. So uh, when, do you know when they uh, was initially designing uh, the ship? Did uh, was there any of the original models from the actual show that they had there for any sort of like uh, not well just reference? Well, I, I, no. What they had done um, 
Paramount and Roddenberry. Uh, this is back in, uh, I think it was late 77. Mm-hmm. Um, had, uh, because they were, they were television people. I mean, they, they had their success on TV. Yeah. Uh, with Star Trek. And so they were thinking in terms of television. And um, uh, they decided to do a four-hour TV special, a two two-hour segments. And they had a script uh, written about, you know, about V'ger. Um, and uh, they commissioned models to be built. And Jim and, and Richard and Jim designed and built a, another four-foot model of the Enterprise Mm-hmm. Uh, which was, which is the same size as the TV model, which is now in the Air and Space Museum in, in uh, Washington, D.C. And um, only they redesigned it and, and uh, uh, made it look pretty much like the one in the film looks like. Uh, but it was only made for TV. And for TV in America at that time, uh, the resolution was very low. I mean, it was 525 lines. Mm-hmm. So the whole... And you didn't have, I think your biggest screen back then was 24 inches. Um, and so 525 lines of resolution was terrible. Uh, England at the time had 625 lines, mm-hmm. um, which was a lot better, but still nothing compared to HD now. But because of the low resolution, you didn't have to make things absolutely perfect because they just wouldn't show up. I mean, TV sets in those days were notoriously pretty naff. And uh, so they built this model. They got it all finished um, in May of uh, 1978, and um, Star Wars came out. Yeah. And that changed everything completely. And so so then Roddenberry and Paramount said, wait a minute, we're looking at this the wrong way. Let's make a movie. We've got this incredibly valuable property here with a fan base and everything. Um, so they, so that Jim Dow and uh, Richard um, and, and the boys uh, who built the, the first model had a party and they trashed it. And they started again the next day. They didn't keep any original components at all. No, they, 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 they trashed everything. And that's, I suppose. And as you said, that's literally down to, with TV, they didn't have to be as careful and put as much dedication into it because it wasn't going to get picked up. Exactly, and and uh, it wasn't, you know, it, they weren't all that knocked out with the model anyway because they didn't, it didn't have all the finesse and all their expertise poured into it. And now they had a chance to build a cracker, mm-hmm. you know, to build something that would you could walk right up to and it look real. And uh, that's the thing, the amount of detail that actually uh, went into the ship. So uh, am I right in saying that uh, you actually, uh, your part in the model making process was uh, all of the art, all of the colouring, all of the sprays, all of the uh, like finishing touches on the model? Yeah, it was, it was painting the model. The only uh, part of the model I didn't paint was the engineering section. Um, and that was a guy named Ron Gress, and we worked together. And so he did all the engineering section, which is um, the bit around the pylons, you know, that hold yeah. in the cells. Um, and and those are those were in a different kind of paint. It was a flat paint. It was a model railroad paint. Uh, it wasn't acrylic. At the, uh, they're only acrylic now, but 
they 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 had some weird uh, solvent uh, and thinner. Uh, it was a paint uh, called Floquil mm-hmm. over there. Really bizarre model air model. It, real low viscosity paint. But uh, so and Ron had worked with it. So I said, well, you I've got my plate full yeah. uh, because uh, it, I mean it was. A, we thought it would take about three months. It took six months, and in fact, it actually took eight months because somebody screwed up all the circuits in the in the uh, dish, and we had to take the dish apart, and or they had to take the dish apart, and then fix all the electronics and stick it back together and stitch it up, and then I had to repaint uh, all the bits that they had to destroy. So that took an extra mm-hmm. two months. That, uh, and that must have been a real kick in the teeth because that's the thing. One of the things with that ship is the lighting in it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it like really it brings it to life. So, so to have the circuitry suddenly uh, go wrong and have to redo that, they must have been <laughs> not best pleased. Oh yeah, and and uh, we, I mean nobody knows for sure, but Michael Eisner. Uh, had taken over Paramount, who was a lawyer, and he knew sweet F.A. about making movies, um, you know, which is insane to have somebody who doesn't know anything about film um, mm-hmm. be head of Paramount, who then became the head of Disney oh, wow. for 10 years. Um, but we think it was him uh, who uh, came in one night impressing his girlfriend, and he flipped the uh, electricity on and apparently did it in the wrong sequence or the guys had, hadn't fused something right or whatever and he blew all the circuits and came in the next morning and uh, all the circuits were gone and so you, and no, nobody would admit to it but we think it, we think it was him I was going to say, uh, you're not going to hold your hands up to that one, are you? Well, no, that, there's no proof but I, yeah. I just you know, I just have a feeling it, it was him No Definitely. I didn't like the guy, so maybe that colors my, <laughs> my suspicion. <laughs> it, it might do a little bit. So yeah. you're saying this was your first uh, like job uh, as an uh, as an artist for this then uh, this sort of work? Yeah, because um, I, it, it, when I moved to LA in '75 uh, from here, I've been living here. Um, I, uh, I I got involved in illustration because I'd been doing Robin Trower's album covers, and I and and then the music business moved to L.A. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll keep doing that. And um, I met uh, some top airbrush artists, and and my album covers looked like they were airbrushed, but I didn't have an airbrush. I didn't know how to use one, and so they were all oil painted. But I should have been using an airbrush because it would take me two or three weeks to paint one of these covers. When with an airbrush, I could have done it in an afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and I ran into these guys in the center of airbrush illustration in the world at that time was in LA, and all the top guys were were there, and they were making tons of money. I mean, these guys were making quarter million to half a million dollars a year back in 1976. Wow, that was, is for that time that is a lot of money. It was a lot of money. They all owned their own houses and they drove fast cars and you, you know they, they they had money to burn. Um, and uh, so I met these guys and and they taught me how to use an airbrush and I did some illustration. And then one of them, who was an English guy, Ed Scarisbrick, um, was working with another illustrator, a very famous guy named Charlie White, and they shared a studio. And um, 
Charlie got a call from uh, a friend of his he went to school with, who uh, was Jim Dow, who had built the, the Enterprise. And Jim said, do you know anybody who's pretty good with an airbrush? And, and Charlie said, well, the thing is, is everybody who's pretty good with an airbrush has a freelance business, and they're not going to want to work on a movie because when they finish, they're not going to have a freelance business anymore, you know, and they leave for two or three months and come back. Mm-hmm. And um, and then Charlie turned around to him and he said, don't you know some guy who's, you know, pretty good with an airbrush and needs work? And I said, yeah. And so he, Charlie gave Ed the phone and Ed talked with Jim and Ed said, um, I'll call him. And so I, I was in my studio and the phone rang and Ed said, Paul, it's Ed. How would you like to paint the Starship Enterprise? <laughs> and that's just the, and at that point, had you growing up, had you ever watched any of the episodes at all? Did you have like a frame of reference in your mind for Trek or was it something that you was totally just not on your scanner? Well, no, obviously I'd heard about it. I think I, I watched a couple of episodes and they didn't really knock me out. And that was probably, you know, the first series when they were finding their feet. Um, and, uh, but I, I was, I was a science fiction fan, fan from when I could first start reading books and, uh, I read everything I'd get my hands on. And, and so my mind was always out there. Mm-hmm. And of course I knew what the Enterprise was and, um, uh, and I'd heard, that, um, you know, after Star, I mean, I saw Star Wars the day it came out and which just blew me away. And, um, you know, I knew what the Enterprise was and and um, obviously. And uh, so I jumped at the chance one because it was in the movie business. It was working on that wonderful model and it was it was work. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. And, uh, you, you know, when I went down there and um you know, was led down the hallway to to the spray booth where the Enterprise was. I mean, it just took my breath away. And so, by the time that it, they've actually uh, like brought you into the room, they've already uh, they've got the model there ready for you to just get your hands straight on. Well, it, yeah, it's. I mean, on first glance, it looked like it was all done, but in fact it wasn't. Uh, a lot of the fine detailing, there were lots of scores, uh, uh, little channels in the hull and on the dish um, that that had to be scribed out, I mean, really meticulously, because some of the shots of camera, the camera would be inches away from the surface. And even one little bubble or a bit of dust would just ruin a shot. So um, uh, there were model makers... Uh, I mean, I started working on the dish, mm-hmm. and they left me alone for the first week and a half uh, while I was getting to grips with it. And then, um, then the model makers started coming in and, and working ahead of me as I was making progress to um, to prepare parts of the ship that I was going to work on next. So, uh, after the first week and a half, uh, there at any given time there were three or four of us working on the model. So I was painting. And the other two or three were um, sanding and scribing and, I mean, doing incredibly meticulous work. It would have driven me crazy. <laughs> I mean, really. You know, they were just, you know, they would spend a day on one little one little section of the ship to get it absolutely perfect. Wow. And 
you brought up a good point there. Obviously, if you was painting and you had that sort of any sort of dust in there, it would just ruin the uh, look of it because the shots that you're going for were so up close. So, was there any precautions actually like taken to try and make the room as sterile as possible? Or well, when they were shooting it, um, it it was it was pretty difficult because um, it was on a in a huge it was a converted factory that the ceilings must have been I don't know 30 feet mm-hmm. um, everything was covered in black velvet the floors were painted in black paint um, you couldn't keep dust away and I I mean when they were shooting it by the time they were shooting it then I was in another building uh, designing effects so I wasn't there I'd pop in every now and then but we were so busy trying to get all the effects done um, that I didn't have much time to watch them shoot it I I would imagine they probably had some fans uh, blowing on it just to keep any latent dust from settling yeah and uh, did you go on to work on like many similar uh, like uh models in the industry or uh yeah well i did um well the the only similar one i worked on is i painted the airplane in airplane in oh, excellent it, and it was just one of those it was uh what about a six foot long you know one of the big models you see in the um uh, in the travel agents or in the airplane you know the big uh, airline offices like in piccadilly or whatever you know yeah those models they make and of course they look like they're a model mm-hmm. so then i had to go in and you know put all the detailing in and everything and uh, on that and we didn't know you know that was another movie it was just another movie and i was working with guys who had worked on star trek and they formed their own company called dream quest and they got the job to do the special effects the models and shooting the models and for airplane or shooting the model and um and we didn't know it was going to be a big movie. Yeah. No. And that, that's, as you said, that's another one that ended up being a monster and is still uh, massively uh, popular today as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, I mean, um, when Star Wars came out, I mean, nobody, Fox, it was, that was a 10, well, Star Wars was a $10 million film. I mean, they did all that for $10 million. Star Trek, they spent 120 million on, and it's not a patch on Star Trek. No, and and that's, but they must have been considering uh, the amount of work that went into the Enterprise. Uh, they must have been fairly happy with the box office. Oh yeah, yeah. I well, I think they were pretty nervous. I mean, uh, uh, the the budget, uh, the original budget for the film. I think their top end was twenty million, mm-hmm. and because they were under the gun, to they wanted it for Christmas release of uh, seventy uh, seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, you know, we were way behind because the Enterprise was late and getting ready to shoot, and but they were having all kinds of problems. You know. When, whenever you do something in special effects, you're basically reinventing the wheel. And so problems you cannot anticipate always come up and things always take longer and cost more than you think they do. But when when you're paying people 
decent salaries and they're working overtime in the film business, the the money just goes through the roof because you've got uh, you work eight hours of your salary, and then from eight to ten hours you get a time and a half. From ten to twelve hours you get double time, and anything over twelve hours is four times your hourly rate. And if these guys are uh, uh, on top wage already, then it, yeah. you're, it's soon going to go through the roof. Absolutely. And then if you work on Sundays, and we, we only had one Sunday off, um, that's uh, the four-time rate is called golden time. And that's golden time. And everybody was working. And, and he, you know, the, the wage bill was just spiraling out of control. I was going to say, I doubt many people were that bothered about putting in the overtime. Uh, no, <laughs> no, we were all uh, we were all very very happy. I mean, we all worked very very hard, Wayne, very hard. <laughs> there there was no skiving for tea breaks on the fourteenth uh, hour. Uh, no, not it wasn't like England back in those days, mate. No, but, you know we boy, you showed up and you got stuck in and you stayed stuck in all day long. Excellent and. Uh, did you uh, go and watch the motion picture on the big screen to see uh, like your work up close? I saw it in Leicester Square for the premiere. Excellent. And I was wearing this jacket. <laughs> Brilliant. So it, that's the thing. That must have been. What was it like uh, just seeing like the detail in, in in your work actually up there on the screen for all to enjoy? Because there's a huge sequence of flyby for the actual Enterprise, so it's not as if you if if any of you guys had fluffed up any sort of bit there, it would have shown up so much. Oh well, no, I mean that you know the model was absolutely perfect. Yeah, uh, it, I mean it's not now because it's been through so many movies. I think what five films, and they ILM resprayed it a few times and dulled it down and. I've seen some close-up pictures of it. Uh, it belongs to Paul Allen now um, from Microsoft, or he's the for he's Bill Gates's former partner. It's mm -hmm. in, up in his museum, his science fiction museum, and um, you know the model looks pretty rough now because it's been you know mishandled and and um, uh, but yeah when 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 I finished painting it except for the problem with the bridge, which is in the book, the story is in the book. Mm -hmm. um, uh, after that was sorted out, um, it was perfect. So uh, the ship obviously was then used in the Wrath of Khan. Did they use, uh, did they get used to any touch-ups on it, or was it just totally repainted, do you know? Well, I thought, uh, because uh, uh, George Lucas got the um, contract for that, and uh, uh, he used a different method for filming the model than we did, and um, which meant he, uh, he used what's called blue screen, um, which meant that because the model looked like an oval, I mean, it had every color of the rainbow when you lit it, it just, I mean, it was stunning, uh, with all these pearlescent paints and all these different colors and and uh, you know if you they're called interference colors and if you look at them from one angle of incidence it's it's you know, the pearls are one color and as you move around they they flop to their uh, complement um so the thing was constantly changing color as your point of view changed and it was every color of the rainbow 
And um, if you shoot it uh, using blue screen, then any color blue on the ship drops out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and so it doesn't work. And so what they had to do is, I thought they repainted the whole ship. I didn't go see The Wrath of Khan or mm-hmm. any other films. I, I, I think I saw the fourth one. The, was it the fourth the one? The The Wales. Yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah. that. And I really like that film. But, um, and of course, it takes place in San Francisco, and I, you know, I grew up there. And, but um, uh, the using the technique they used, I just thought they re-sprayed it. And I was pleasantly surprised when I was uh, putting the website together to accompany the book, and I came across uh, the shots at the Christie's auction that uh, Bill Gates's um, girl who was there took uh, to send back to him. And most of my paint job is still there. And all they did was knock it back. They dulled it down. Yeah. And whereas I thought they had totally wiped it clean and started over. No, and that's lovely to hear that they didn't just start from scratch again. Well, it was lovely for me. I mean, I was it was a real shock. You know, this was only, what, a month ago I discovered that. And I, whereas all along I thought, well, you know, my paint job only exists on celluloid. But in fact, it's, uh, you know, most of it is still there, but you can barely see it. That They had to kill the the pearl, which is a real shame. But, you know, it is what it is. So Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, may I just ask, please tell me about your meteorite. Uh, ah, well, shall I go get it? Yeah, no, that would be brilliant. There it is. And that is a nice, hefty chunk. Yeah, and it's it's uh, nickel iron as well. It weighs uh, it weighs eight pounds. It doesn't look very big, but it was amazing. I mean, the thing does it weighs a lot. And um, I mean, if you if you had a square foot of iron, you wouldn't be able to pick it up. I think it would weigh five or six hundred pounds. It's one square foot. What? So I mean, and and it was interesting, you know, when I would hand it to people and I'd say, now you know, both hands, and they go, oh. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, the density of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, it's a solid hunk. And um, uh, I'd always wanted uh, a meteorite. And, of course, then I was making money on, on the movie. And, um, and once I got to the special effects, um, uh, I, I wasn't working on Sundays. I had Sundays off. And, um, uh, and I... I did, I went around to some of the rock shops and nobody had anything that was worth looking at. They just had little tiny bits and and I wanted a nickel iron one and um, and then this one guy said I heard about uh, there's some kids out in the valley who they've got a couple they want to get rid of quick and there were these two high school kids who worked at a um, a professional um, mining uh, uh, place that had state of the art metal detectors and they had dredging equipment and everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um and they had worked out and they were they were some pretty sharp young kids and they had worked out you know the big meteor crater in arizona yes it's called the behringer crater and um it's it's nearly a mile wide and um uh it was made by a meteor the size of a terraced house and it annihilated itself. It was like a nuclear explosion when it struck 50,000 years ago, and it made that big hole. So there was nothing left of the meteor. But these kids worked out that, wait a minute, there probably was something left of the meteor in that as it 
came in, um, uh, meteorites are irregular shapes. And as they come in to the Earth's atmosphere, they start melting and getting hot and bits start falling off. And if you see any any uh, movies of meteorites falling, you'll see there's all bits trailing behind as they as they come in and start melting and breaking off the meteor. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and so they worked out that when the meteorite slammed into the ground and annihilated itself, you've got like a nuclear explosion pressure bubble that comes out like that. And they worked out the angle it came in. They had all the information. And they worked out that, okay, it's traveling so fast, and, and these bits would hit that pressure bubble at a certain point above the, above the ground, and they would be scattered in a huge big oval about 10 miles long and about three miles wide. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they snuck out there. It's private land, and part of it's federal land. And they snuck out. They drove to Arizona one night with their pickup truck and their state-of-the-art metal detector, and they went out metal detecting, and they found two bits six feet under the ground. Wow. And this is one of them. And um, so I bought this because their parents, when their parents were found out, I mean, they were very proud of their kids for working it all out, but they wanted them to get rid of it because they could have been, you know, taken to court or going to jail or something because you're not – on federal land, you're not allowed to touch anything and certainly not allowed to dig into the ground. And uh, so I bought this. And uh, this was the nicer of the two and the bigger, of uh, larger one of the two. And um, and then, I, you know, I, I, I've got a, an onyx plinth that I put it on to display it. Um, and I just had it at my home. And then because I moved back and forth, it's been it's been packed up. For 15 years in cardboard boxes and going back and forth mm-hmm. across the Atlantic, and um, and then at the show I thought oh, I'll I'll bring it you know people be might be interested in it and I mean it was the star of the show and and uh, it was the only it was the only real thing from outer space at the whole <laughs> at the whole um, exhibition. And that's absolutely fantastic. So you uh, you definitely didn't mind doing uh, a few extra hours to uh, pay for that commodity. Oh no, I mean it was uh, I got it for four hundred dollars, um, and because it is uh, as it's well, I, I went I went around the the, uh, the following weekend. I went to Griffith Park Observatory, which is that iconic building used in a lot of films. Um, it was used in, well, it was used in Rebel Without a Cause, I think, or Blackboard Jungle, but it's been in a lot of space movies. Um, it's the observatory in, in Los Angeles. And uh, I, and they have a big collection of meteorites there. And, and I talked to the head astronomer there, and he said, I'll give you $2,000 for it right now. So, <laughs> so you I, knew you was onto a winner straight away <laughs> with that. But I think now it's, it's probably priceless in the sense that it's from... There's, it's only one of two in existence from that famous crater. Well, and to be honest, that's that's amazing. As much as we like to collect uh, film used props and everything, to have a genuine piece of the cosmos there in your hands. Exactly. I mean, this is well marginally older than the Earth, um, and <laughs> it. We got quite a few laughs, actually, because I said, this will be the oldest thing you ever touch. And, you know, there was there was always some wag out there. I said, oh, my you haven't met my husband. (laughs) (laughs) 
But um, uh, and and this would have been out in the Oort uh, cloud, uh, uh, out between Mars and Jupiter. And that is, that is absolutely fantastic. The, so if you think this was out there for about 4.8 billion years, um, as the solar system was forming, and then it was in the ground in Arizona for 50,000 years, and then I've had it in boxes for about 15. <laughs> yeah, that's just it. You've literally owned that rock for like 0.001 percent of its life <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> so very much to, to to the rock you are the commodity <laughs> that's right <laughs> oh but ne- if you but it, uh, if you come to next year's start sorry it was a real treat um to see the the delight on people's faces who had never held a meteorite, you know, and, and when I explained what it was and where it was from and, and you know, t- t- people just queued up and, and waited and waited and waited to have their picture taken with it. And some wag uh, had a little tiny model of a little tractor, a little tiny little thing. <laughs> so he put it, he put his tractor on the meteorite and took a picture of it. <laughs> but if I had, if I had known then what I knew Monday morning, um, I would have I would have had a, a, a photographer friend of mine come along and catalog everything and take pictures of everyone handling it and and have done some interviews and everything because um, uh, but I you know I I was so unprepared for what it was going to be and and then you know I was there all day long and just staying across the street from the XL. So I was away from home, and uh, I couldn't go back home and get all my equipment. And Yeah. yeah. But, well, next, um, if there is another uh, Star Trek London next year, uh, you'll have to pop by and bring your rock with you, because I'd love to get my hands on that as well. It's, <laughs> it, it would be fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, it, it, but I, I, I think it would be a mistake for them to have one in a year... It just, I, I think they should leave it, you know, because it's not going to be that special, is it? I don't know. I don't know. I think they could easily, because there are so many aspects of the franchise that wasn't touched on, uh, that really, if they did concentrate on certain parts, like, uh, like Voyager wasn't represented there at all, so there is definitely still a lot more that they can do. Yeah, but I mean the the draw. I think. Now tell me if I'm wrong, but um, I would have thought the draw was the fact that all five captains were going to be there. That's definitely the uh, the draw that at least got people coming from my the whole world. Yeah, coming to Star Trek London. So I mean, if they if if they do it again, it's just not going to be as big or as special. I don't think they they won't have the budget to. I mean, they flew over. There must have been. Well, they have the five captains. Okay, okay. I mean, Sir Patrick lives here, but he still costs money. Um, and uh, and then there were there were there must have been what twenty five actors and actresses. Uh, it's around there, yeah. Yeah, that they brought over from L.A. So you know, and they had to put them up and everything, and so they flew them all business class and put them up in a decent hotel. So yeah, I mean that that was a that was a chunk of money. Oh, definitely, definitely. Though I think, consi- considering 
like the the amount of people that were there, I'm sure that they have made a healthy profit on the event oh. as well. Oh yeah, but I mean, if they do another one next year, I think maybe it might be good to make it uh like like biannual, like so make it uh, twice, uh, once every two years rather. Also, well, just... well, it'd be interesting if if they can if they can pull the 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 people. I I I I just wonder. Um, but you know, I would have I would have thought something like that would want to be about every four or five years. But uh, I I could be completely wrong. Yeah. Well, I I that's the thing. I think there like being some deals with like the, the fans like day and out like speaking on Twitter and everything. I think there is enough of a draw. I think there there is enough of a draw to make it more regular. So uh, what? Uh, what work are you uh, currently uh, doing at the moment? Are you still in the uh, airbrushing uh, industry? Well, well uh, no. I'm. Uh, I mean, I've got. Um, I'm. I'm working. Well, I, I spent from October twenty second mm-hmm. that that Monday morning till two weeks ago, um, writing the book and then building the website for the book. And so that that I mean the book took five five and a half weeks and the website took three weeks and so I, towards the end of the book and I was working on the website as well, uh, so that's only been done and dusted what two for two weeks now I think yeah hardly any time and uh, I have to say uh, to whack out a book uh, in that sort of uh, time scale is uh, very impressive so what. Uh, I- Obviously, this is a good opportunity to uh, uh, plug your book, uh, Star Trek: Creating the Enterprise. Right. Yep. And um, uh, it's uh, at uh, Star Trek-Enterprise.us. Excellent. And it's, it's only two dollars and ninety-nine cents, so two pounds, less than two pounds. Yeah, that, when I uh, bought mine today, I think it rolled in at about one pound seventy or one pound eighty, something like that. So uh, yeah, no. For, exactly. for, well, the pound is getting stronger as well against the dollar. I know we need to get back up to the date in like the nineties <laughs> sort of currency uh, exchange. <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the book's available as an ebook. Um, it's a PDF file, uh, and then there's an unlock link on the first page of the book, which uh, unlocks all the links in the website, so you get access to all the photographs and all the uh, uh, various bits and pieces. I mean, there are over a hundred photos in there that that complement the book. Thanks, and that really is, and that's. Once again, it's just amazing uh, with technology now, the difference in uh, like things that you can actually offer the customer as well, who's going to be reading your book and then be able to discover even more just by logging on with the code that you've got. Absolutely, yeah. It's, I don't think anybody's done it before. I, I wrote a book about moving to the countryside because I was living in Surbiton, um, a suburb of London, and uh, and I moved down. I, I'm I'm down in the deep Surrey uh, countryside, right on the West Sussex border now, out in where it's all horses mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was so knocked out. There's so much life down here, much more than there is in London actually. 
and uh, because people have to make their own entertainment, um, and and they do, and and so I wrote a book about moving to the countryside and, and all the wonderful things that happen, and and along with that, I had a website because all the people I talk about in the book, they're all real people. I've got photographs of them and and all the various events that happen, like lawnmower racing at night. <laughs> There's a 12-hour lawnmower race down here every year. That's amazing. That's the thing. I uh, grew up and uh, live in a village, uh, yeah. but we don't have lawnmower racing. That's fantastic. Well, no, and, and uh, I mean, I mean, there were the the first uh, lawnmower race they had. Um, uh, Sterling Moss drove a lawnmower, <laughs> and it's a, it's a 12-hour endurance. It starts at nine o'clock at night and goes until nine in the morning, and and the when I first moved down, I couldn't believe it, and I and there are these mad, mad people who come from all over the country, and and they they have caravans and they set up these um, uh, tents at uh, at big uh, uh, like portable garages where uh, with the lights at night and they've got their lawnmowers and they bring sofas and they you know and and tea uh, uh, facilities and coffee and food and and they're all families and they're all completely mad in in the <laughs> way. And, I was going to say they're absolutely bonkers as well. But, but I mean, just lovely people who just have a scream, and and they race these lawnmowers on on a course out on a on a big field and um, with hay bales sort of going all around. And and the course is about, um, I suppose the whole course is eighth of a mile, quarter of a mile long. Wow. So yeah, and, decent size. And, and the one I went to, it was in the mud, and it was just a, a, it was a complete mess. And I just thought, you know, nobody will believe this. And so I was taking pictures, and I've got that on the website for the book. And and so as a result of doing that, I thought, well, nobody's ever done this before, and it's begging for it. If you write a book, have instead of having pictures in the book, just have them on where you can see them in color on the website, you know. And... Um, and so I've done that with um, uh, creating the enterprise as well. And I've I've had a Richard sent me a bunch of photographs and um, um, and I've collected bits and pieces. And then I have some photographs from the event, so people who weren't at at the uh, Star Trek at the destination of Star Trek can kind of get an idea of what it was like. And mm -hmm. um, I didn't have any videos, unfortunately, but you know, next time. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And uh, people can find out more about you also by going to uh, olsenart.com. That's the one, yeah. O-L-S-E-N-A-R-T. Excellent. Or they can look up, uh, just Google Funky Paul, because um, that's what I was known, because I had the company called Funky Features in the 60s, and, and that name stuck. And So um, you can Google Funky Paul Olsen, and that'll take you to the website. And then there's a link on the website that takes you to the book. Are you on any social medias at the moment? Are you on Twitter or? Yeah, I I, I put a, a, a professional page on Facebook. Um, I don't like Facebook, um, so I've only got a professional page on there, but I haven't done anything with it. Um, but I'm on Twitter, and I'm just figuring Twitter out. I mean, I didn't, I could not understand it at all, <laughs> and um, you know, and there's a whole sort of Twitter sphere out there, and and. Uh, so I'm just getting to grips with uh, Twitter, and uh, but yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter at, under Olson Art. Uh, at uh, Olson Art. Yeah, at Olson Art. Yeah. Excellent. 
excellent. Well, I'll uh, make sure that uh, I'll put some links in uh, on our Twitter account as well. And also, uh, if anybody wants to uh, find out more about uh, Paul's work and also uh, where you can purchase the book if you've missed anything, just look in the show notes. I'll add plenty of links uh, for everybody to go across. And to be honest, for $2.99, you can't go wrong. And it's a it's a perfect uh, electronic gift that you could give someone for Christmas. Well, thank you very much, Wayne. And um, you know, if somebody's stuck for a present as well, um, there's a gift uh, card link, and and um, I've got an account with Jackie Lawson. I don't know if you're familiar with her cards, but they're beautiful mm-hmm. electronic cards. And um, so, if somebody wants to buy one as a gift, um, then they send me the the message they want and the recipient's email and um, and they can either send the book to them or I can send the book to them along with a card with their message and they can go on Jackie Lawson's website and pick a card of their choice and then what message they want and I'll throw that in for nothing. Excellent. Well, and uh, to be honest, if uh, if you're listening to this now, it's uh, going to be Sunday the 23rd. So last minute gifts, and also for anybody worldwide that you uh, know is a Trekkie in the family, uh, it's definitely something good to get over there uh, in time. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it, and it gets you out of trouble. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, Paul. Thank you, Wayne. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. And now it's time for this. And now it's time for Name That Trek, the weekly quiz where you have to guess a character from the following audio clip. Fascinating. Yes, and it's time for Name That Trek, our weekly quiz where we give you the opportunity to win a Star Trek DVD box set of your choice. Now, Mark, before you go any further... Yes. I would like to take this opportunity to be the first person to wish you a happy birthday. Thank you very much, because it is now 26 minutes past midnight. So we are now into uh, into the 21st of December, so thank you very much. You, you, are the first, you are the first person to wish me a happy birthday. I just thought I'd get in there. <laughs> thank you. The wife's gone to bed, so uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're more than welcome. Now, now, as you were. <laughs> as I was. So, uh, yeah, it's, this is a really, really easy game to play, Name That Trek. What we do, we play you uh, three character clips, and we play you one episode clip, and we give you a mystery character. And all you have to do is uh, guess what they are and send us in your answers, and the first person to win at the end of the season wins a Star Trek DVD box set of your choice. It's that easy. Yeah, they've so, been uh, vying for 10 weeks, uh, racking yeah. up as many points as they can. They can, and things have been very, very close at the top of the leaderboard there. There's it's literally, it's, each it's, week it's been a couple of points between it. It's, it. They've been up and down, and one's edged ahead, and one's then they've fallen back, and the other one's edged in. It's literally been, it's been nail-biting stuff. Now, we didn't actually put this up on the website, just to keep the suspense going. Yes, and that's the thing. It's, uh, it's... It's just been, to be honest, sometimes you think you know how things are going to go, but then one entrant missed a week, and then that yeah. gave everyone else a chance to catch up. So, yeah. yeah. 
No. So it really did make a difference if if you missed just one week. So. It did. It really did. So there's no easier way to find out how to play this game than listen to last week's clips. So here goes. You have a poor choice of friends. I know I can resist. I don't mean to sound negative. I know that we haven't always seen eye to eye. But despite our differences, you helped me become a good officer. And I'd like to think that you're proud of me for it. I am. My mother never had the chance to be proud of me. I'd like her to know me the way you do. I don't want her to die thinking of me as a disgrace. You have to let me do this. I was born in 2336. I have had one child. And you could say I'm known for my outfits. Okay, so they were last week's clips, and the answers for last week are... So our three characters are Shran, Amanda Rogers. You should have got that one, way. That was an easy one. It easy was one. I love that episode. Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. I know it's a particular favourite of yours. Our third character was Nog. Our episode was Barge of the Dead from Voyager. And our secret character was Deanna Troy. The one and only... The one and only. The, the lovely... ship crasher. <laughs> the ship crasher. <laughs> I, I, uh, I always have... Well, okay. She wasn't always my favourite character, but... Yeah, I was a teenage boy when I watched uh, TNG. So. Oh, no. I loved Deanna. I loved so, Deanna. I'm I was not... a teenage boy when I watched TNG, so... That says it all. Yeah, says it all, really. <laughs> and her, her and Beverly... But uh, Beverly Crush is always my... Special crush. As you had a crush aware. on Crusher. I had a crush on Crusher, which everyone is aware of. <laughs> though, though not Beverly. No, because she wasn't at Star Trek London, so I'm hoping she's going to be at Star Trek London next year. So, oh. I, can meet, so I can meet her and go, I love you. <laughs> I do. And there's me trying to take a dig, suggesting that you fancied Wesley. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> not even slightly. No, not even a little bit. As much I like Will Wheaton actually. I think Will Wheaton's a nice guy. Wesley Crusher, crap character. Will Wheaton, mm, nice guy. I think with Wesley though, I think it's just a question of It's bad he, writing. It's bad writing. Yeah, bad writing in the sense of they, just they were trying to get him to him. save the ship every week, which undermined the other characters. I, I think actually as a as a younger man, as a younger boy I probably identified with them thinking, yeah, I'm a geeky teenager, I can be Wesley Crusher and I can serve on the Enterprise. Now I just look at him and go, twat. Um, <laughs> so does I'm, that say any self-deprecating things about yourself? Or? Uh, possibly. Yeah, but now I'm 20 odd years, of, you know, when I was 15, I thought, yeah, I'm Wesley Crusher. You know, tw- 20 years on, I look at him and go, yeah, you're a knob. Um, but I think, I think personally, if they hadn't have forced Wesley to save the ship on such a regular basis, and if he had actually stuck through it's, it's, the entire per, seven years, it's poor writing. Yeah. I, I think they just because, weren't sure what to do with him. But no one hates Jake Sisko. I think Jake Jake Sisko's good. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think he, he wore some crap clothes, but then that that's Star Trek. Yeah, that's that's the future for you. The future is, you know, they've got they've got fantastic technology. There's no war. There's no disease. There's no famine. There's, there's no, no hatred. Fashion sense. There's no dress sense at all. That's the one thing we've lost. We've lost everything that's bad about humanity: war, famine, disease, hatred, racism, sexism, everything. We've also lost. A complete sense of fashion. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. You know, you win some, you lose some, <laughs> and that is exactly what these people have done. Here is this season's top five for uh, name that track. Do you want to kick us off, Mark? Yes. So in fifth place we have uh, Michelle Thomas. So well done, Michelle. Very well done. In fourth place. We had Philip Rampley. Congratulations, you got in there in the top five. Yeah, absolutely. And in third place, and the, this was very, very close at the top of the table. The top three were the, the ones that three, were vying. They, they, they were literally one ahead, one out, one ahead, one out, all the way through the season. So our third place is Tony Shelley, a former winner. Former winner, and it, he did do a fantastic job at trying to defend that crown. He, he certainly did. And our second place winner is Cindy Kong. So, well done, Cindy. You played a valiant game of Name That Check this season. And, and that's... that's you, you, you were literally pipped at the post by... It's by one point. It's... And that's really tough because she came second last season as well. I know, I know. One point in it, but... There you go, you were pipped at the post, Cindy, so a, a, a valiant effort this season. Well done, well done. Yeah, and uh, before we announce the winner, I just want to thank everybody for taking their time to enter, because it, it's always a pleasure to name that track. So it's uh, it, it, it makes it worthwhile when people enter the competition. So, and our winner of Name That Track this season is Michael Wiley. So well done, Michael. Very well done. Very well done, Michael. You were literally there by one point. It was up and down, literally week by week, and for a little while it looked like you weren't you you weren't going to get there at all. But you've managed to sneak in in the last couple of weeks. So many congratulations, Michael. So send us an email um, and let us know what your uh, choice of DVD box set is and we'll uh, we'll get that sorted out for you and, and sent on over to you as soon as we can. <coughs> indeed, Freya. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> so, um, well done, make... Michael. Yay! <laughs> she, she woke herself up with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's too exciting. So I was going to say uh, I'll give you the email address, but you've been sending your entries in each week, so you know our email address. Yes. <laughs> but um, on that note, I think you would notice that this season we've actually gave the results out slightly different as we have done in previous uh, incarnations of Name That Trek. And that is because I it, change is something that can... And never be avoided and I think is quite often in the best interests of things so as such from this point on until further notice that was the last season of Name That Track yes indeed 
the doors have been closed. The uh, <laughs> the uh, the lock has been engaged. The key has been thrown away. And uh, we just want to thank everybody for taking their time to enter name that track. We've had a blast doing it, and we hope that you've enjoyed uh, playing along. Well, that's been going for just over a year, and we've had four seasons. And yeah, it's it's gone really well. It's been a really nice competition, I think, and uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed uh, playing along. Exactly. You never know. Further down the line, we may decide to bring it back. Sometimes things like that do happen. Look things evolve. Off. Yeah, things evolve. Things go. They come back. It's it's the nature of podcasting. It is. It, we've got um, a nice replacement segment uh, coming for you in the new year. So uh, look forward to uh, hearing that. And once again, just thank you, everybody, for entering. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. So now that's one game out of the way, I suppose it's time for us to have a little go, Mark. Yes. Let's go here. Time for the Trek Off. Yes, and it's that time again. It's time for the Trek Off. And we can tell you so far, Paul isn't going to win this week. No, because he he's not here, so he's forfeited his chance to, to win a point. It. To win a point in this week's check-off. You don't show up, you don't get a point. The other two carry on. Yeah, so uh, it's it's the nature of the beast. It certainly is. So right, I've so, prepared three questions for you, Mark. And I've prepared three questions for you. And I am the winner from last week, which I think means I get to choose who goes first. And I would have let you choose anyway, because it's your birthday. It is indeed. So I'll go first, actually. You want to go first? Okay. I'll go first. Yeah. Okay. My first question for you. Bobby Clark famously played the Gorn in yes. TOS. Yes. Can you name another episode he played in? Oh. Barker. I don't need the character, just the episode. Oh. Because he was just inside a. Um, he was inside, inside a, a Gorn suit. suit. Yeah. Oh. I'm not so good on actors and stuff. Um, oh, dear. Apparently he's been in three, but I can only find two. Okay. I've just got to start randomly picking a TOS episode. Oh, I'm assuming it's a TOS. I mean, he could... He no, it... it, it, so it, could, it he could I'll give you that much. It was TOS. It was TOS. Oh, dear. Um, I don't even know what he looks like. Because he was inside a Gorn suit. <laughs> <laughs> was there a big green monster? If, if it had been a, a Gorn, I probably would have had that. Suddenly seen a Gorn at the helm. Yeah. Gorn just sitting there like... <laughs> um, oh, bugger. Having no idea what he even looks like. I couldn't even say. You don't want to take a punt at an episode? Um, You've got a, a one in about 77 chance. A one in 77 chance. Okay. Uh, oh, jeez. No. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd just be randomly picking the episode. Balance of Terror. I don't know. Okay, it wasn't Balance of Terror. Oh, okay. You could have... He played a beaten townsperson in The Return of the Archons. Okay. 
and he also played one of Chekhov's guards in Mirror Mirror. Oh, okay. So, okay. That is that is a tough question. That's a tough question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I have to give you tough questions. Okay. Some of yours might be a little bit... This this one's probably a little bit easy, actually. Mark's going to revise his questions there. Well, no, I picked them out of my spreadsheet. But I picked them out before we started recording, so... Depending how on how well you do on this question, I reserve the right to revise <laughs> my next set of questions. Okay, so, who composed the original Star Trek theme? Jerry Goldsmith. Is that your answer? I'm sure it's Jerry Goldsmith. Wrong. No? It's Alexander Cowage. The original Star Trek <sighs> theme. The original Star Trek theme. Oh. Listen to the question. Bollocks, I jumped to... composed the original Star Trek theme? I actually wouldn't Star have Trek. known that. The TOS theme, you mean? Yeah, the original Star Trek theme. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that, so, yeah. But of course, from, from uh, the motion picture and then later in The Next Generation was, of course... The beautiful music composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Yes. So, see, that's... That's all right. I thought that was easy. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, no... I'm relieved now. <laughs> the Wayne <laughs> stick. <laughs> How thick is Wayne game? I might, comes not, get, I might, not, I might not quite get screwed over on this one. <laughs> yeah, so that your awfully hard questions equal to Wayne's simple question. <laughs> okay. Go on, then. Do your worst. Okay, seeing as Bobby Clark was in Mirror Mirror, I thought it'd be fitting to give you two more questions on the Mirror Universe. Okay. So, in In the Mirror Darkly from Enterprise... Yes? After reporting that a pair of plasma regulators had recently gone missing, what officer gets killed by the Gorn? Ooh. Um... Jesus. Um, Ensign Redshirt. Um, I'll, I'll give you a clue in the sense of he was ordered into the Jeffrey's tube by oh, Tucker. Oh, yes. I remember that. Because I remember I, I reviewed this on Supplemental not too long ago. No. He, he, he does get pulled into it and he does get killed by the Gorn. Yeah. Jeez, what's the guy's name? Oh, dear. Oh, um, because uh. it was mentioned a few times. Because then Flox discusses it on the bridge. Mm. Yeah, yeah. When he uh, advises that he's been attacked by a large lizard. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Ensign Smith, but. I know that's wrong, but I've got to give an answer of some of some sort. So I really can't remember. He's he's, he's a nobody character, I think. So Ensign Smith. I know it's wrong, but that's my answer. It was Ensign Kelby. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah, but very well done for remembering the scene, though. Yeah, I, I I do remember the scene. I remember he gets pulled up into it, and he's like sort of dragged up by the. You know, the, the Gorner really want nicely played in there. They look more, much more like dinosaurs, don't they? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, couldn't remember his name at all. So. <sighs> okay. Where, okay. Um, where? Hit me, Mark. Question Hit. number two. Right. Okay. I'm hoping this is a little bit tricky. 
Right, listen to the question. Okay, yeah, listen this time. My apologies, Mr. Wolf. Why did Picard say this? I'll repeat the question. My apologies, Mr. Wolf. Why did Picard say this? Okay, this is going to be... This, this could is... be anything. Um, okay, okay, I'm. Okay, I'm. Thinking... I'll see how you get on. See how you work, and I might give you a bit of a clue because this is a tricky. This is a tough question. So. Okay, one part of me thinks. Then it depends how you how your next question for me goes, and I may be a real bitch <laughs> on your last question. So yeah. we'll see. Um, then no, your next question is far easier. Um, okay, I might I might be easy on you. On this. the the way that my brain is going is I'm trying to figure out things that have gone wrong with war. Mm. So I'm either thinking, obviously, it's not. There's there's the clue. It's not something that's gone wrong with Wolf. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, he asks Wolf to do something, but unintentionally uh, says something. He, I, I, I uh, um, he refers to we refers to Wolf in the wrong manner and says, my apologies, Mr. Wolf. Does he call him Mr. Woof? No, no, he calls him Mr. Wolf. <laughs> He's like, Mr. Woof. Oh, he sorry, says, Mr. Wolf. Uh, Mr. Scan the area. My apologies, Mr. Wolf. I haven't got a fucking clue. Um, okay, so it's not... Because the way my brain was going is going to be something like... It might be after his wife died. The, the, or... These are these are some of my trick trivia questions. Yeah, and this is why, like, you, like people fucking hated you doing it. <laughs> well, trick trivia doesn't happen anymore when Twitter's no. since I left. But yeah. Oh dear. People no. on trick trivia got this in minute in in seconds. Yeah, literally. I'm sure they did, but it's full I'm, of smart asses like Matt Hansen. I know. I'm amazed they even got this. Literally, someone got this within probably about 20 seconds. I know, that's the thing. I'll be like, uh, yeah, well, I'll be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Something or nothing, or shut up. Yeah, but you could honestly turn around and say, like, oh, in the background of this episode, it appears that you find out someone's shoe size. Yeah, what colour is the the background on this thing? Yeah, and then Matt Hanson fucking pipes in, and he's like, oh, it's polka dots. Gosh, I had green okay. wallpaper in her quarters, not blue. <laughs> Moron. <laughs> okay, my, I... My apologies, Mr. Wolf. Picard is apologising to Wolf because he has addressed him... Right, okay, I'm trying to give you... Just give us the answer. Give us the answer. I'm not going to get it. No? No. In a particular episode... It wasn't the one where they were spooning, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, uh, when Data is killed in the episode The Most Toys mm-hmm. and Worf replaces Data's position at Ops and uh, Picard says Mr. Data and he says my apologies Mr. Worf because he automatically calls for Mr. Data scan the area or whatever he says he says that and then says, realises what he says and says my apologies Mr. Worf and Wolf just sort of looks at him and nods his head. How am I meant to fucking know that? Because you've watched Star Trek before. <laughs> that was a tough question. I'll admit that. That, that, that was, was bloody tough. tough. 
That was a tough question. Okay, well, let me research your third question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, Actually, I could look up your third question because my third question was going to be from what episode is that going to be? And I've just told you what it was. So. Okay, well, whilst you do that, I'll prepare your third question whenever you're ready. I'm ready for my third question. In which episode did Smiley O'Brien steal the schematics for the USS Defiant? Smiley O'Brien. Okay, so that's Deep Space Nine. It's one of the Mirror Universe episodes, of which there's... Is there three? I think there's five, isn't there? Is there as many as five? I thought there was... There's several. I thought there's, there was only several, uh, two seasons that didn't have one. I might be wrong. It might be four, but I, I, there's there definitely at least four. In which, sorry, can you repeat the question? Did he steal what? Uh, in which episode did Smiley O'Brien steal the schematics for the USS Defiance? So we've got... I'm trying to think of the episodes. We've got a shattered mirror. We have through the looking glass. We have crossover and possibly other ones whose names escape me um. that's the thing with it, with this question where previously like your Bobby Clark question you had 77 to choose from you've got, yeah, a, got a few less to... <laughs> well no now I've got to remember all the episode names um, I'm going to go for I can only remember three Crossover, Shattered Mirror, and Through the Looking Glass. And there probably are some more. I'm going to go for... Alice in Wonderland, Through the Looking Glass. It was... Shattered Mirror. Bollocks. Oh, oh that was close. My heart was going. <laughs> there, were, there were... Tough questions. Tough questions. Weren't there? I, was, I, I, I really wasn't quite sure. I'm not always a big fan of the Mirror Universe episodes because it's not, it's not Trek. No, oh, it, it is, it is. Well, if they class 09 as Trek, then mm. the Mirror Universe definitely is. No, it, no, it's not. It's not Trek in the same in the same way for me. So. But still, but that gives me a good gauge for the sort of difficulty that I need to make the question. So next next week. Uh, your first, I, I would make them similar to the line of your third to give you a fair chance. Okay, okay. So what's the score then? Are we... The, the slate is clean. <laughs> so we're both shit. <laughs> yeah. Thick, yeah, you've, you've joined me in the how thick is game. Uh, 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 you thick git. Um, <laughs> okay. So is this your third question? It is sure my third get, question. Because I better make sure you don't get this. Because if you if you get this, then you win. Okay. But then again, it would, I, I won last week. So okay. Geordie LaForge's mother commanded which ship? Oh, I'm useless at these sorts of questions. That's good. I'm well. I'm useless at most sorts of questions. <laughs> um, uh, the USS Kelso. No. No. Was the hero. The hero. No, from I would never have got it. From Interface. Bad yeah. episode. Yeah, I would never episode. have got oh, it. I'm not surprised at that. I'm not surprised at that. So, Wayne, um, so that's zero each, isn't it? 
That is zero each. So we're as thick as each other. We, we are as thick as each other. Shall we do was, one question for a tie break? That was a shit performance, wasn't it? <laughs> what? How do, uh, how do we do a, how do we do a tie break question? Um, we'll, we'll just come up with one que- one more question. See who gets it. For it, no, we both come up with one question each. Okay, so you get it. We could be here all night. <laughs> yeah, we could. But I'm going to come up with the hardest question possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm Harder you than yours. You go first. One second, I'm trying. Next, anyway. And then I'll make sure that my question's harder than yours, so at least I've got a chance of winning. Do I try and make you look a fool and like, get a question, like give you a question on cue? Or give you a question on, like, just something that you absolutely love. On, and then. just try and make it a ridiculously hard question. Yeah, go on then. Okay, this is a question that, knowing you, you would get. Okay. Okay. So, tiebreaker questions. Okay, first person, well, it's sudden death, so the first person to answer their question correctly with the other person getting it incorrect wins. Okay, Mark, your first. So you, I'll give you your question. Yeah. Then if you get yours wrong, but I get mine right. Oh, then we just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're a fan of Q. I, I am aware of the gentleman. Yes. Yes. Okay. So. In Deja Q, Q loses his powers, doesn't he? He does. He does. And during this time, he spends his uh, time on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. What celestial body, and I need the name. Yeah. Are they trying to prevent from colliding with something else? BL4. I knew it was an easy one. Very well done, Mark. Was it BL4? It was BL4 and BL4's moon. Yeah. Very well done. I knew it was an easy one. Okay. Does that mean I win? Not until I get this wrong. Okay. Righty. Oh, awesome. So now Mark's like, yep, hard one. <laughs> hard one. No, no, I've already picked your question. And, okay. Name the ship Riker took command of during a battle exercise. During a battle exercise? Yes. I'll give you a clue. Because I'm in a good mood because it's my birthday. <laughs> season, t- season two. It's going to be that Klingon ship. Name... Name, Name the ship Riker took command of during a battle exercise. Listen to the question. During a battle exercise. Name the ship Riker took command of during a battle exercise. Season two. Okay. If only I had uh, kept up with my uh, rewatch because I'm about four episodes in on season two. Okay. I've got to do a full. I've got to do season one and two rewatch, considering I get the Blu-rays from my birthday. And much of season one is awful, so I've got to sort of sit through it. But there you go. Oh, come on, you'll love it. <clears throat> I will love it, but there's literally only about four or five episodes in season one which are any good. Season two's a lot better. 
Season three is great. Okay, I'm really not sure. Okay. I'm going to take a guess at the Enterprise. You haven't got a better better answer. I'll give you another opportunity. It, it's not the Enterprise. I'll give you one more chance. It isn't the Enterprise. I think even if I gave you the episode, it, it might not help. Peak performance. I'll give you that. No. I'm being generous. Yeah, no. I haven't seen that one in ages, and I should have carried on with my rewatch. I might have been able to give you an answer. No. It was the USS Hathaway. With Colrami, uh, the guy where they play the sort of chess game with the little things on their fingers. See, if you gave Remember me a clue, if you gave me a clue like it was named after Catwoman, or uh, she gets her boobs out in uh, Brokeback Mountain, then uh, then I would have got that one. I love oh, that Hathaway. Was that Hathaway? Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't <laughs> get that reference, but there you go. Uh, but still, so two in a row, Mark. Very Does well that mean done. I, I win again, and that's checkmate. You've been listening to the Trekmate Podcast. Would you like to get a hold of us? Visit trekmate.org.uk and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Make it so. Prepare to attack. All hands battle station. Don't worry. We will get to the bottom of this. Ask is a tall ship and a star to steer by. I don't want excuses, I want answers. Am I authorized to enter the neutral zone? How do you think that tells me about your character? Captain's log, stardate 3541.9. Program complete. Enter when ready. <laughs>